Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, August the 15th, 843-661-0937. August the 15th, that means there's three weeks until football season. I think the NFL's already started some of their preseason games, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, wow. And it was cooler this weekend. More pleasant weather in store Getting into a for the next very, couple of weeks. Very nice time yeah, of I d- year. I debated with my wife yesterday. Uh, with my wife. I debated, debated with my wife yesterday about whether or not we'd have another 95-degree day. And I don't think we will. I mean, we'll have some days in the 90s, but I don't think we'll have another 95-degree day. Um, it's the middle of August, and I understand it's still hot, and you've got a couple of three weeks of hotter weather, but I just don't suspect that it'll get in excess of 95 yesterday. You uh, you like to make these meteorological predictions when we get to these transition well, I'm not times accountable. I've got a chance of being right as they do. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's right. I mean, I've seen some of the modeling for the next 15 days. There's not a day included in the modeling that says 95. In fact, there aren't many days that say in excess of 90. Mm. But who knows? Um, want to take this chance and opportunity before we get to um, the business's hand at hand to thank all of you who made Friday such a, um, a pleasant experience. Other than the last 15 minutes, I had a blast. I had a ball. Um, <laughs> what was wrong with the last 15 well, I mean, minutes? I mean, I lost total control. Yeah. Of, um, I mean, I didn't feel like I was anywhere near the steering wheel of Wake Up Carolina. <laughs> I don't think you were. I was Neither not. Neither one of us were. Absolutely was not. But thank you. And we apologize for the technical um, snafu that we had. That seems to be the way it always goes. You have something like that. And we had a, a big deal and a lot of people trying to get through on the phone, which, again, we appreciate so much. Uh, but yeah, all spectrum services at this building, and I think for miles around, went down, including the televisions and the the internet and the phone lines. So nothing worked for about about an hour and a half during the show Friday. It started at what time? Seven ish? Yeah, yeah, about quarter of eight, I think. Quarter of eight, there. and it was out until nine o'clock. Till nine. So about an hour and fifteen minutes of kissing our butt was not allowed. I know. Um, we missed out. But thank you, and I mean that sincerely. Thank you, thank you, thank you to the um, to the many of you who sent text and emails and Facebook responded on facebook and i mean obviously the phone calls from the um the callers and sponsors had a sponsor text me um friday afternoon at about three o'clock he said i've been honored to be a part of it and if it's another 10 years i'll be honored to be a part of it uh, for the balance and uh yeah so there's a um there's a salesperson that needs to go see one of our <laughs> one of our sponsors and sign up to a lifetime contract. And uh, but but no, thank you, and I mean that sincerely. And, and I went through and I've I've read every post. There's there's so many congratulations posts on the Live ninety five Facebook page. I went through and looked at every one of them. And again, did I'm, you I'm like them? Floored. I, I didn't like them. I just looked at them. Okay. Why did you like them? I mean that 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 that's that lets the person know that you read it when you like it you understand that don't you that's true okay. yeah and i think okay. i know how facebook works okay i'm just bit. asking yeah. I mean, reddit didn't like it yep. um okay good deal <laughs> I, I, I do like it good though. deal good deal <laughs> um got a lot of other things to talk about today i mean i've tried to grapple over the weekend uh with the merrick garland press conference on thursday we touched a little bit on it on it friday um to me, they owe a press conference. I mean, not just an announcement, not just a it's summary, a or, you know, one side of the story. To me, they owe a sit down, um, not with a reporter, but a gaggle of reporters, including someone from Fox News and maybe the National Review, um, some of the, um, I guess, what would be considered alternative media sites. I want to say this. Um, I consider part of my job to be watching the Sunday morning shows. I mean, I really do. Um 
the nine o'clock meet the press and Fox News shows at ten o'clock. The George Stephanopoulos, who was was hosted by George Carl yesterday, but it's almost unwatchable. I mean, it is. It, it's 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 a shadow of its former self, but it's not even entertaining. It's, it's certainly not enlightening. It's propaganda. I mean, it's un just this unfettered um, propaganda to the extreme. And it's not interesting because it's not anywhere near accurate. Um, yesterday, someone, well, I mean, let's take George Carl hosting uh, Meet the Press. Excuse me. Um, John this Carl? week with George Stop- is Stephanopoulos. Carl? Is it John Carl? Yeah, John Carl. You're right. Who is George Carl? I don't know. Mm. George Stephanopoulos. I guess I'm trying to combine the <laughs> two. George Carlin. John Carl, um, who is an ABC reporter um, hosting This Week with George Stephanopoulos, which is formerly This Week with David Brinkley. And Brinkley was fairly renowned for being fair-minded and addressing the political issues of the day in a uh, fair and impartial way. But but Carl is hosting the show yesterday, so he introduces his roundtable, and it's um it's Donna Brazil from the DNC, formerly of the DNC. It's a uh, a reporter, an editor from the New York Times. It's some uh, Dana Milbank from the Washington Post, and then there's this um this person who worked in the Trump White House. So you got Carl, five-star liberal, Brazil, five-star liberal. You've got the New York Times, <laughs> wonder what they are, the Washington Post, <laughs> wonder what they are. And then over here, you've got, you know, to create balance and fairness and equality in the conversation, you've got somebody worked in the, in the Trump White House who is not as passionate about, you know, expressing their opinions as you would like someone um, to be. No Newt Gingrich, you know, none of these bulldogs for America first, no, none of these people who can articulate you know, why we believe America first is the best way for the nation to advance. And and I just thought about Brinkley and I thought about, you know, um, Tim Russert and I thought about some of these other folks that had, I mean, historically probably seen the world through a liberal lens. And But, but they, they understood their job was to give folks somewhat of an accurate reporting of what's happening in the world of politics today. And there's just none of that now. Uh, and, the, and part of the conversation was surrounding, you know, Liz Cheney has a chance to lose. No, nah, Liz Cheney's going to lose. Liz Cheney's going to get her butt cut in Wyoming. Um, unless she's paid a bunch of cattle to vote, she has no chance to win that election. Some of the most clever advertising, I don't know if I've seen, I sent you this or not, but um, some of the most clever advertising I've seen in a long, long, long time is from the Hagman campaign when it says Liz Cheney for Virginia. <laughs> and it goes through the um, the reasons that Virginians should vote for Liz Cheney. She was uh, you know raised in Virginia, went to private school in Virginia, um, you know, worked in Virginia. Her father's located. I mean, is this all about Alec? You know, so some of these um, ah, bedroom communities of Washington D.C., some of the collar county counties in Virginia. But it was just so interesting. Um, Liz Cheney has raised nine million dollars outside of Wyoming, three hundred thousand dollars in. I mean, imagine that nine hundred. Uh, excuse me, three hundred thousand dollars for her Senate campaign has been raised by the people who she'll actually represent. $9 million in contributions made by people who probably don't know where Wyoming is, never have been to Wyoming, unless they've got a third or fourth home on one of these big ranches in Wyoming. And I just think that's it's, it's kind of an, uh, it's an illustration of really where we are in American politics today. Um, Hagman has only raised in excess of a million dollars. I think she's raised about $900,000 um, in Wyoming. And about four hundred and fifty or five hundred thousand outside of Wyoming. So Liz Cheney's raised nearly ten million dollars to run for the Senate, excuse me, the House in Wyoming, 
and and that's a statewide election, guys. There's only one House member in Wyoming because cows can't vote. I mean, if cattle could vote, they'd have three or four or five seats. But it's um it's ranching country. It's the it's the wild wild west, so to speak. But but Liz Cheney has accepted donations to the tune of nine million dollars to represent the people of Wyoming from people who don't live in Wyoming. I mean, that's a broken model, isn't it? I mean, are we okay with that? I mean, obviously, the right to petition your government, um, you know, and, and she's been highly successful in convincing some of the insiders that she is opposed to Trump and his America First agenda, which is probably kind of an anti-corporatist, I mean, obviously anti-globalist, anti-interventionist agenda. But I think Liz Cheney's election tomorrow is kind of the, I don't want to say the curtain call, because there'll never be a curtain call on the um, the Republicans who are never Trumpers. They're delusional and a little bit, uh, I don't know what the word is, first thing Monday morning, but they're, they're so deeply bothered by this transition within the Republican Party. Um, and Liz Cheney, I think they're, they're Newsom, if I'm not mistaken, in the, the 5th District of Washington um, was the only, I think there's two, of the 10 that voted to impeach, there's two um, that are still in, and they'll compete in the general elections come come November. And one of the two, I don't think Trump endorsed a candidate. So Trump's batting about 90%. I mean, if Liz Cheney loses tomorrow, and she will, um, I just hope she gets smoked. But you don't think that uh, Republicans, the anti-Trump Republicans, will give up at that point? I mean, they're just not going to say, okay, you win and walk away. No, I mean, no, no, no. They're still no. fighting. Sure, they'll fight. I mean, the, the, you know, in the they'll just figure out another way to fight. They'll, they'll have to come to the conclusion that um, Donald Trump is still the force du jour in Republican as, primary as politics. selected by voters. Yeah, as selected by And that's where I was headed, Rev. So if Liz Cheney is vying for the House seat in Wyoming and 70% of Republican, excuse me, about 78% of Republican voters in Wyoming want to go America first and Liz Cheney um, does not, does Liz Cheney, why would she even run? I mean, why would you... How do you how do you put that round peg in the square hole? There's no way to do that. I mean, that's such a misalignment. Am I right? I mean, think of this now. 78% of Republican voters voted for Donald Trump and would vote again tomorrow for Trump. She's trying to run Trump out of office or out of um, an opportunity to ever run again. So how can someone represent a people who are so uh, diametrically opposed to one another? I mean, it can't work. There's no way it can work. Um, it's still odd to me that she'll probably get 30% of the vote. She'll get the, you know, kind of the never Trump vote. But, but the people of Wyoming have made their minds up. They don't want interventionist establishment globalist policies. And Liz Cheney refuses to listen. So if you're a House member, now, now I get the fact she said she did the moral and ethical thing. Uh, I guess she's insulting everybody else in Wyoming. It's a little bit like the, the one problem I had with Rice's vote was Rice said it was the moral and ethical thing to do. And and that's argue he's the only South Carolinian to vote that way. And I always said, so is Tom the only moral, ethical man uh, representing our interests? And, and where do you balance that out? I mean, is it your job as Liz Cheney? Let's use Cheney as an example. She thinks Trump is evil. I mean, she thinks he is a, an absolute threat to democracy. If that's the case, is she just smarter than everybody else in Wyoming? I mean, does she get to just kind of walk that? I mean, she obviously, just she to walk is. that plank by herself. Sure, I mean, that, that's exactly what she's insinuating that I know better than you. Seventy-eight percent of Republican primary voters in Wyoming would vote for Trump tomorrow. 
for president of the United States. They would install him as president without an election tomorrow. But Liz Cheney says to the people of Wyoming, it's obvious you don't understand things that I do. You know, this is intellectual and moral superiority that some of these folks have. And I don't think that's all about the Democrats. I mean, I think Obama epitomizes that more than anybody I've ever seen. But I think Liz Cheney falls into that camp. And I think some of the never-Trump Republicans who believe the moral and ethical thing to do is stop Donald Trump from ever getting near the, 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 the levers of government again, it's a little bit arrogant. I mean, it's extremely arrogant. It's not a little bit arrogant. It's extremely arrogant. I'm not going to listen to the people of Wyoming because I know better. I'm not going to listen to the people of South Carolina because I know better. That's what we've had enough of. You really don't know better because if you did, the country wouldn't be in the condition it is. But if you knew better and were competent and elite, we wouldn't have $32 trillion of debt. And, you know, uh, people falling off the sides of airplanes in Afghanistan. I mean, we'd be a well-run country. And then you could have some ground to stand on by saying, you don't understand what I do. Well, when you say you don't understand the complexities of the world like I do, and then we look and see the complexities and how, you know, how goofed up America has become, it, it's pretty obvious. There, there's a, a misalignment there that I think we're fundamentally trying to realign. It's an, and a delusion. That's a complete delusion. Let's go to the phone. Here is DW in Florence. Morning, Don. Hey, morning, guys. Uh, go Tigers for get cut off again. I already cut me off last time. So I'm sorry this time. Well, you talked for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how it is. Uh, you know, we, guys, we, we don't have a problem with dishonesty. Uh, uh, dishonesty runs rampant. Uh, we got a problem with tell people telling the truth. They run around a lot. They run around the truth to tell a lie. And you start listening to these guys talk about stuff, and they start lying a little bit for too long. All they can say is, all they can give you is a lie. And, you know, it's just amazed me. I, I can't even watch TV anymore because I get so upset watching those guys. Uh, they know what you're saying right now, Ken. They know what you're saying. They don't care. They really tell a story or a lie or what, a white lie or whatever you want to call it, half-truth. Uh, they don't want the truth. It's just not going to come out of their mouth. They cannot do it um, because they got an agenda. They don't care what's right or wrong. As long as they get the agenda right. And I think that's what you've been talking about all this time. But it's just really amazing to me how much a lie is the truth these days. They don't care about the other. So that's all I got to say. Uh, go Tigers. Uh, half, half, half go game talks. And you guys have a good day. Thank you, DW. Appreciate <laughs> that. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's take our first break of the week. We'll be back in just a minute takes Mondays to make Fridays. You know, we really don't know any more now than we did know. I mean, we really and truly don't have any more information today than we had Monday. I mean, Merrick Garland, A.G. Merrick Garland gave the um, the presser, but he didn't answer any questions. Um, they released a warrant, but they didn't release the affidavit they used to get the warrant. Right? Correct. Or just, you know, is this a fishing expedition or not? Um, and Trump, uh, Trump is arguing that some of the material they took was confidential i mean it was lawyer attorney um, client, client attorney yeah attorney attorney client privileges um and he wants that back some of the others were um uh, a letter that barack obama sent donald trump i mean once again we're speculating here trump says one thing the ag says another thing the wall street journal reports one thing the new york times reports another thing how do you how do you raid the home of a former president and not be prepared to answer to the public 
I mean, I understand ongoing investigations, but this is a former president. And what are we investigating him for? I mean, now we're talking about espionage. Uh, is this about the uh, the the president Presidential Records Act of 1978? Or is there more here? Is there any there there, so to speak? Once again, last week, and I'll say it again this week, you don't have any idea what they took. You don't know if Trump um, should have had that material or not. Um, but but there's it's, it's beginning... The, the, the two sides are beginning to dig in more than you would imagine, and the reason they're digging in, and it's pretty interesting to me that Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray and, and the media in general say, you just got to trust law enforcement. You got to trust the FBI, <laughs> the, fine, you know, the fine men and women at the FBI, oh, the fine yeah. men and women at DOJ. They're simply trying to do their job, and we will not tolerate you know, the threat of violence toward anybody at the DOJ or the FBI. Um, Two people sent me text on Friday um, telling me they've heard in recent days, I think it might have been Friday, some elected official in the Republican Party used the word cathedral. Two people sent me a text Friday saying, hey, I I heard this word cathedral mentioned uh, by a Republican senator and a Republican House member. I don't know what network it was on. I don't know if it's on television or if it's on a podcast or a blog or if uh, if it's on the radio. I don't have any idea. But two people who interact with this show um, sent me a text saying, I heard someone say cathedral and another say the cathedral. This is what we're dealing with, guys. I mean, you know, this is the monolith. I mean, this is all moving at one. It's the big glacier. You know, this is barely moving across the ocean, but it's moving as one. As it relates to potential classified information that may or may not have been stored at Mar-a-Lago, and the way I understand it, a president has the authority to declassify anything, anytime, for any reason. And so I know this is going to be probably part of how this thing eventually shakes out, but, I mean, if he, when he was president, he could have said, everything I'm taking here is declassified, therefore it's no longer top secret and classified. But, he, but did he? Don't know. I mean, he can. You're right. And what, what sort of actions does he has to take? I mean, can he think it and declassify it? The president has enormous executive privileges, and the, and the courts have really supported a stronger and stronger executive. I think the reason the courts have done that is they don't want to set a precedence of putting a president in a bad um, place. But you're right. The president has the authority to declassify. I'll ask you this now, because I've tried to read, does the president have the right to declassify the nuclear codes? Oh, that's interesting. No, I mean, yeah, I don't know where that yeah. line is drawn. I don't right. have any idea. I mean, you know, you can't do this, but you can do that. But yeah, I mean, I, I've read exactly what you've read, that the president has a lot of discretion on when to declassify whatever material. Um, a lot of this goes back to the building and constructing of these libraries. You know, they, um, they basically take, and here's another question. Did GSA move this material? Did the archives allow the um, the documentation to make its way to Mar-a-Lago. I don't know. Don't have any idea. Did, did, did Trump store it in a way that they didn't say or they didn't see proper? Don't have any idea. We I think don't he, have admi- any- he admitted in a post that, that they had requested and he put additional locks on the rooms that the material But you can't believe in. everything Trump says. I mean, you know that. You know better than that. I mean, I'm on <laughs> Trump's team, and you're on Trump's team. And, and I believe the DOJ has absolutely, absolutely abused its authority. But you got to be careful to believe everything Trump and his team say. I mean, they're in some sort of a legal squabble here and a political squabble. Uh, to be honest, is this, I mean, the interesting part of all this, since it started, that there's a debate in America today about whether or not this is political. Let me let me put that debate right now. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, this is without question political. Are there legal ramifications? I don't know. 
What are the legal ramifications? Well, if I don't know if there are, I certainly don't know the answer to part two of that self-imposed question. But but to suggest that this is some way somehow not political is absurd. I mean, I understand uh, naivete. I mean, I, do, I understand being gullible and, and wanting to believe the right thing and trying to get back to a better version of American politics, a more trusting version of American politics. But let me put that to bed right now. Uh, when the media says, wonder if this is politically motivated, Fox News says, of course it is. CNN says, no, it's not. Merrick Garland <laughs> has kept, you know, the Biden administration or excuse me, Joe Biden at arm's length. And he's not aware of any of this. Don't believe <laughs> any Ken of that nonsense. It's, I mean, that's BS. I mean, that's complete and total BS. This is political. It is absolutely political. You've got a president who hired an AG. The AG did not get a shot at the Supreme Court, Right. I mean, just stick with An me for a second. To grind. Of course. And I get it. I mean, I get the ax to grind, but you crossed the Rubicon. I mean, you really, you broke the norms. You broke the political norms in America when you agreed to invade it. He said, I personally ordered this raid. Um, now, the media say it's not all of a sudden a raid. It's always been a raid until it's not a raid. And guys, I'm telling you, this is the cathedral in action. I mean, th- this is what happens when... Nobody at DOJ had to call the FBI or call the administration. I mean, Joe Biden said always uh, April, April the night. Joe Biden said, you know, I don't want to milk toast AG. I mean, I want an AG that will prosecute when he believes uh, pr- people need to be prosecuted. Uh, and he was talking about Trump. I mean, he was basically saying, that's, I don't that's, want- the, that's the added twisted uh, plot twist here is that we have a former president that is eligible to run and serve again as He's president. running. Well, he's running. Obviously. He's running today. <laughs> I mean, the, the guy that's most likely, if Biden lives long enough to run for re-election, the guy he's most likely to run against is Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, there are so many plot twists here to use your um your vanilla. Yeah, of course it's political, but I, but I'm I listened to CNN for a couple of hours Saturday afternoon, um, and it was like you know we're still debating on whether this is politics or not. Is this law and order or this politics? It's politics. I mean, there may be some legal consequence here. I don't know. You don't know. None of our listeners know. Nobody knows. I mean, I guess the DOJ and FBI know, and I guess in his heart of hearts, Trump knows. You know, did he take some things he shouldn't have have taken? Um, Why 18 months after the fact? You know, why last week? Did they decide to execute a search warrant? I don't know. A few months before a midterm sure. election. But I mean, do you know? Do you no. know why they chose no. last Monday as the day to execute a search warrant? I don't. That's the point I'm trying to make, Rev. Somebody from the AG's office and the FBI need to sit down in front of reporters and, and media members and explain why they felt it was appropriate to do what they did, despite not having any parallel, any precedent in American history. I mean, you, you've crossed the Rubicon. We broke the norms. I mean, there, there's no, it's fundamentally different today. I think Tulsi Gabbard said that the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago changed the country that she grew up in. I agree with that. I said it the morning after. Um, I felt different. Is something. I, I felt different. Well, I mean, she's trying to find a job. I felt <laughs> different about being uh, behind this microphone the day after the AG ordered and we didn't know at the time that he had personally ordered uh, the uh, the raid of Trump's residence. But but I told you I felt a little bit different. That was weird to me. I mean, that was weird to me that no, to know that a former president would allow his AG to invade the home, raid the home of a, a former president who will more than likely be his um, his opponent in 2024. And, and we're still asking the question, is this political or not? 
Of course it's political. It's 1,000 million percent political. But are there legal ramifications? Let's get to the bottom of it. Let's see the affidavit. Let's have a Q&A. Um, let's get Merrick Garland to sit down with somebody from Fox News or somebody from uh, the National Review. I mean, I'm talking about somebody who will ask tough questions. I'm not talking about a fellow member of the cathedral. You know why I don't trust this? Here's, I'll give you an example. I was going to talk about this last week until um, the story broke that um, they'd raided Trump's home. Remember a lady named Barry Weiss? She resigned from the New York Times because she felt it had become too, here I go with air quotes early Monday, but ready? Illiberal. I mean, it was a... Um, illiberal? Illiberal. I mean, that was her words. Um, she is now arguing that... Remember Tim Scott was involved in the police reform bill? I mean, he was one of the loudest voices, sure. being an African-American, being from the South. I mean, they felt he would really have a lot to say and contribute to the police reform legislation that made its way through the Senate. Well, um, Barry Weiss has made uh, an accusation that um, the senior opinion page writer in the editorial board um, wanted to check with Senator Chuck Schumer before they ran an op-ed submitted by um, Tim Scott. Now, now the op-ed was solicited. Scott's office didn't call the New York Times and say, hey, would you guys run an op-ed? The New York Times reached out to Tim Scott and said, you know, as someone who is critical or integral to this police reform legislation, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Well, I guess it was pretty good because the Times, um, Scott sends this to a junior member of this editorial board. Um, the editorial board says, um, well, I'll give you I'll give you a recount of the conversation. Let's get here real quick. I got it here. Um, um, here's Weiss. Ready? And this is on her podcast, Honestly with Barry Weiss. Um, not Barry Watt, Barry Weiss. <laughs> you ready? Um, here's what happened. I was at the New York Times, and you and your staff, she's interviewing Tim Scott, you and your staff sent in an op-ed about the bill, and Watt fell apart. And this is the part I'm not sure if you know. There was a discussion about the piece and whether or not we should run it. Okay, fair enough. Um, and one colleague, a more senior colleague, said to a more junior colleague who was pushing for the piece, do you think the Republicans really care about minority rights? Wow. I mean, you just that's Scott's um, response. Wow. Uh, Weiss continues. And the more junior colleague said, I think Tim Scott cares about minority rights. And then there's, and here's the pretty shocking part. The more senior colleague said, Let's check with Senator Schumer before we run it. Scott mm. again says, wow. Why said, and the colleague, the younger one, refused because he said, uh, because that colleague said it wasn't an ethical thing to do. Now, the Times absolutely and emphatically and very swiftly denied those accusations, um, telling, I think, the New York Post and um, the Wall Street Journal that their quote, New York Times opinion never seeks outside approval or consultation whether to publish uh, guest opinion essays. It reiterated the statement on Twitter in response to a tweet from Scott arguing that the Times had silenced him. Well, now there's some, um, there's another person at the Times that says that's true. So you've got a source, oh. and, and now we've got a corroborating um, source. Uh -oh. uh, the second source who confirmed Weiss's account of the storage to the National Review shared the contents of messages that contradict the time statement and reaffirm Weiss's account. That's where we are. I mean, that's where we are. The, the, the newspaper of record in America throughout most of and our we've existence. suspected that. Of course we have. Well, I'm not, let me back up. I've never believed that a, a member of the editorial board of the New York Times 
would want to check with a member of a uh, of the Senate before they were allowed to put. No, I, I that goes that's further than even I imagined. I mean, I, I always believed that that liberal thought was dominant in these decisions. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Tim Scott wants to put something in there, or AOC wants to put something in there. I mean, I always felt there would be more people in that room wanting AOC's piece to be in the paper instead of, or on their bomb. It's really on the internet. I mean, it's not their, uh, the, the, the print edition doesn't have any sway anymore. But, I mean, the internet, they, they've got a big following, the NewYorkTimes.com. So, I mean, I've always felt, Rev, that there were indeed more people in that room when they made these decisions oh, yeah. that wanted to shut Scott down. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Tim Scott, no. Um, AOC, yes. Uh, Ted Cruz, no. Uh, Bernie Sanders, yes. The, the part that, that, that kind of surprises me is somebody at the New York Times wanted to talk to somebody at Chuck Schumer's office to see if he felt it was okay or appropriate to run an op-ed submitted after solicitation by Tim Scott. That, that even I mean, I, I didn't believe that. Just like I didn't believe they would ever raid the home of a former American president. I mean, that, that's what I'm telling you guys. We're dealing with something that, that is hard to understand. It's hard to get our arms around exactly what we're dealing with, how entailed this is, how collaborative this is, how orchestrated this is. And I guess the most encouraging thing that happened to me last week is a couple of you out there sending me a text saying, hey, I just heard this member of the Senate say cathedral. I just heard this member of the House say cathedral. Because the DOJ is part of the cathedral. The FBI is part of the cathedral. The New York Times, we know, is part of the cathedral. To the point that they are not going to run an op-ed by a Republican about minority rights and police uh, reform unless the Democrat leadership says it's okay. But that's what we're dealing with. That's where we are. Once again, a second source confirmed Weiss's accounting of the story um, and actually share the contents of the message that contradict the New York Times official statement and reaffirm, support Barry Weiss's account, who left the New York Times because she said it was just too illiberal a place to work. There was not a welcoming of debate, discussion, and dialogues. What have we said last week? We'll say it again now, the week before. The guardians of speech. I mean, these people believe that they are entitled to tell us what is allowed to be discussed or not. Take a break. Back in just a minute. You know, you do wonder when Garland will be forced to sit down with the members of the media and explain exactly in detail. I mean, I, I would imagine at some point in time he'll have to once the affidavit is made public, if it's ever made public. Um, the, 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 uh, the question that I have is, and I don't have the answer to this. Um, I've got a couple of people texting me this morning about, you know, a standing order for declassification. I, I, I've heard that. I've read that. But is that legal? I mean, does that pass the smell test? You know, if, if that's the case, can a president declassify the nuclear code, you know, or, or you know, some of the military secrets of the country? I mean, obviously, he wouldn't be inclined to do that. But could he? I mean, legally, if, if a president has that sort of authority, where does it stop? I mean, is there some sort of law on the books that says, yeah, you can do this and that, but you can't do this? You know, you can't talk about nuclear codes or military operations. Um I mean, once again, I don't think a president would ever be inclined to do that, but are they in violation of some law if they do? Um, someone texted me a second ago and said that there's a, um, there's a, there's a, there's a, a privilege the president has. That's probably the best word. A privilege the president has 
to declassify. I mean, he can basically issue a standing order that, that when I take things from the White House, they're automatically declassified. Is that good enough? I mean, I, I don't know. Makes me uncomfortable. But we're talking about legalities now. We're talking about we're not talking about once again the politics is what the politics is, and the majority of this is political. But at some point in time, they're either going to be legal charges or not. I mean, they're not going to be political charges. They will be politically motivated. They will be politically sensitive. They will have political consequences, good and bad. I mean, I think Donald Trump had a great week last week. I mean, I really believe it solidified the suspicion that a lot of Trump voters have about his him against the world. I want to make sure I'm hearing you right, because Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago was raided on Monday, and Trump had a great week. I think Trump had a phenomenal week, sure. And I'm going to tell you one thing Donald Trump did that he, did that he hardly ever does. He was a bit measured. I mean, he accused, he made some accusations, and that's who he is. But he was not the crazy man, you know, that they were hoping to do. I still believe, and, and I'm sorry, I just believe it's this political. I think they're trying to goad him into announcing he's running for president before the midterms. I'm not saying this was all about that. But I think secondarily and, and ancillarily, I think there's, there's an effort to try and get him to announce he's running for president before the midterms. Once again, if Trump announces he's running for president between now and November, what is the midterms about? I mean, it's about Trump. I mean, it puts Biden on the back burner. I don't care if Biden's the president or not. I don't care if he's king of England. I mean, he's on the back burner. If Trump announces he's running for president, he's the dominant media story. And we're not talking about inflation. We're not talking about, you know, the, the, these crazy bills they pass and whether they work or not. They're not going to work. The Inflation Reduction Act is all of a sudden morphed into the climate, health care, and tax bill. Um, I mean, you know, you're raising taxes in the middle of a recession. You're adding about 87,000 IRS agents in a day where Americans are unbelievably suspicious of the influence and power of government, the might of government. I mean, just imagine that. I mean, if the, if the election is about, hey, people are real skeptical of government right now. They're real suspicious of government overreach right now. Hey, let's hire 87,000 new IRS agents. That ought to make them feel damn comfortable. Right? You see where I'm headed? But if Trump announces, none of that is on the front page. None of that is front and center. It's all about Trump, Trump, Trump. And and I just believe, despite what some of the media is trying to argue now, that they, they see the move, you know, um, gas has gone down 60 days in a row and all these other sorts of things. It's still, you know, what, 325 or 30 a gallon. And it'll probably start going back up as we get closer to Labor Day. I mean, that's another big driving weekend. Um, and a lot of this has got to do with we have less in our strategic energy reserves, petroleum reserves, than at any time since 1985. I mean, we sold off a lot of our um, strategic energy <laughs> some surplus. Some to China, right? Yeah, a lot of it going to China, some of, the, um, some of the other places. But a lot of the reason it's going to China, we don't have the refining capacity. I mean, it's almost like they're saying, okay, we're going to send the oil wherever we have to that can convert it into fuel. And China has pretty good capacity when it comes to refineries. So, yeah, I mean, we're sending oil. It's not like, I mean, if you've got, uh, let's say we release. We don't have all those pesky environmental well, laws I mean, in China. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, China's running their company, its country, a lot more shrewdly than America's running theirs. Uh, I get that it's a communist totalitarian government, but China runs their company a lot more shrewdly than America runs theirs. I don't want to live there. I don't want to go there. I ain't lost a damn thing in China. But, but in all honesty, I mean, they are a more serious leadership. They are a more competent leadership. I understand what a lot of, well, of course they are, Art. I mean, it's a communist country. You tell people where to go and what to do. Well, I mean, aren't we kind of 
operating like that? I mean, how many of you wanted 87,000 new IRS agents? You got them? I mean, we're real good at saying how much more liberties and freedoms we have than all these other countries. Do we? I mean, do we really? See, I think we, the people, have given in to safety and security in the name of assault on liberties and freedoms. You like to say you want to be free and, and prosperous, but really and truly, you'd probably rather somebody build a safety net to make sure you don't hurt yourself. I mean, that's really who we become <laughs> as an American people. Wow. Well, I mean, we wouldn't tolerate this, Reb. There's no way You're we would right. tolerate um, people in Washington hiring 87,000 new IRS agents at a moment in time when more Americans are skeptical of government than they've ever been. I mean, the polling clearly shows that. Are you skeptical of government? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. But we've got people in Washington who just passed a bill that will hire 87,000 new IRS agents. 87% of all audits are done on people, family, um, households making less than $400,000 a year. That's a lot of money, but it's not a gazillionaire. So, I mean, the, the, the likelihood that you're going to get audited, I'm going to get audited, um, you know, our listeners are going to, I mean, it, it increases exponentially once they get all these people in place. And I just think we talk a big talk, and I'm not sure we walk the walk. We say we like to be free. We say we love liberties and freedoms. But I think we'd rather be safe and secure, the majority of Americans. Take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. I want to go back to something we concluded the last hour with, and that's this comparison. And I'm certainly not comparing our country to communist China. But I am arguing that we say we love to be free. We say we love our liberties. We say we're willing to do whatever it takes. And I just don't buy that. I mean, I understand the talk, but, but the walk is very alternate to that. And, and by that, I mean, um, I believe the American people today, the majority of Americans would rather be safe and secure, give up a little bit of their liberties and freedoms because they don't believe they're a little bit naive. I don't believe the government would take that freedom from me or take that liberty uh, from me um, in, in an era and age where we are more suspicious of government than we've ever been. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. The government is going to employ 87,000 more IRS agents, and we're apparently okay with that. I mean, a lot of Democrats are defending, you know, I've had friends of mine, I've had Democrat friends of mine say the worst thing the government does is not just collect money. They don't collect the money they deserve to collect. They get about $4 trillion of it a year, but they don't get enough of your uh, money. So so hold on to that for a second. So, so we're going to, you know, kind of um, passing judgment on the Chinese and how I wouldn't put up with that. I mean, if I was in China, I wouldn't put up with that. I mean, I'd find me another place to live. Well, I mean, you kind of do. And I'll give you another example. I read this story a good while back. It might have been a couple of years ago, and I knew it was about to come to a um, to a head. We're going to have a hearing here um, sooner than later in, what's the groundhog? What, what's his name? Um, Puxatani Phil. Puxatani Phil. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of famous in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. If he sees his shadow, you know, so much more of winter. If he doesn't, so much less of winter. Um, there's a Punxsutawney hunting club. In Pennsylvania, it's about 4,400 acres. And I read this a couple of years ago, and uh, it kind of plays into the same narrative that we're rambling about here this morning. So there's a 4,400-acre property in Clearfield County. That's in the um, in kind of the Punxsutawney area. And the membership of the club found out that the Pennsylvania Game Commission snuck onto the property and installed uh, multiple spy cameras. 
I guess they're lo- looking for night hunting or breaking, you know, whatever kind of um lock, game board. I mean, the game board snuck onto the 4,400 acres of land. I mean, this, the, it's got gates and, and locks and no trespassing signs everywhere. But the Pennsylvania Game Commission snuck onto the property, um, installed multiple spy cameras, um, captured images of a guy named Mark Miller and other hunters over the course of several weeks. Um, and it was not a mistake. I mean, once again, all club entrances are gated. Um, they're marked with no trespassing signs. They more times than not have uh, um, locks. So is the, are we okay with that? I mean, I understand the game warden. I understand, you know, um, DNR and all these other sorts of things that have a responsibility. It's private land. I mean, it's owned by the hunting club. I mean, it's owned by the um, the Punxsutawney Hunting Club uh, in Pennsylvania. Owns 4,400 acres. I would imagine there are multiple owners, multiple members. I don't know how the um, arrangement is made, but uh, maybe they bought, borrowed the money, bought the land. Everybody's on the hook, joint and several. Or I don't, I don't have any idea how that arrangement is made, but it's private land owned by private landowners. But the Pennsylvania Game Commission snuck onto the property, installed multiple spy cameras, trying to find people breaking laws, breaking some sort of hunting laws. Uh, and we're going to have a court ruling. I mean, there's going to be a lawsuit. Uh, I think it was 2019 when the uh, the membership found out that there were cameras out there. And now there's going to be, excuse me, June 2022 is when they began. Um, no, I'm wrong. It was 19, but 22 is when discovery of these um uh, these findings are going to be in some kind of um, constitutional lawsuit um, that the Punxsutawney Hunting Club filed against the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Um, there's a Institute for Justice, which is a, a law firm, kind of a libertarian-leaning uh, law firm. But the original complaint is focused on um, in-person surveillance by state game wardens who routinely entered club property and observed members without their knowledge from hidden places. In other words, they'd behind behind a tree. And if a hunter, uh, is, is that a violation? I mean, is that that's your property? I mean, obviously hunting hunting laws and rules apply on private property. You can't shoot a deer at night, no matter if it's public property or private property. But are you innocent to proven guilty? I mean, has anybody reported that something's going on over there on those 4,400 acres? That's just kind of the world we live in, Rev. And I'm going to tell you what we've done. And this is what makes me so nervous and, and my, really makes me angry. We have historically believed that government is out to do right. You know what I mean? I mean, if these, if these Pennsylvania Game Commission officers are trying to get on that land, there's probably a good reason they're trying to get on that land. You know what I mean? I mean, if, if they're putting cameras at every intersection, there's probably a pretty good reason they're putting cameras at every intersection. I just don't buy it anymore. I'm sorry. I think government, by its nature, has become incredibly punitive. It's become controlling. I mean, the motivation is control. I mean, I don't think the rank-and-file highway patrolman has a lot of interest in controlling you or your life, but I think the system of the political and bureaucratic hierarchy, um, they like to endear themselves and ingratiate themselves to public officials, you know, the Senate and the House and, and the President and the, the DOJ and the FBI. And, you know, if the FBI director is revered at the White House, th- then I think he gets a, kind of a gold star. He gets an extra cookie uh, with, with his milk. And I think they, they, they really, that they become unbelievably punitive. And, and I, you know, that's kind of the crux of the matter to me. Once again, the majority of us have been conditioned for most of our life to believe that if the DOJ and FBI raid a former president's house, they probably had a damn good reason to do it, right? I mean, if the Pennsylvania Game Commission 
is putting cameras on a 4,400-acre private hunting club, they probably got good reasons to do it. That's what you want to believe. But you don't believe it anymore. And I know no. you well enough. You, you, when you and I started this show 10 years ago, you believed that. Yep. You did. You believed Absolutely. that they were well-intended. They were normally trying to do right by the people. You don't buy that anymore. <laughs> I don't buy that nope. anymore. And it was always, we were heading that way. Trump just exposed it. And this is what I argue when somebody says, well, why Trump? Because nobody else will expose it like Trump. And, and the more Trump exposes it, the less confidence we have in these institutions that we've never should have had that confidence of anyway. We've always, I mean, our founders were unbelievable. Read the Constitution, guys. The Constitution reeks of skepticism. The Constitution is written in a way that you better watch government. You better always keep your eye on government. And for a hundred and some odd years, we took our eye off government. And the next thing you know, you got 87,000 new RS agents. You got the Pennsylvania Game Commission walking around 4,400 acres, um, you know, putting cameras up at night. I mean, that's kind of the way that, once again, I think we have been, we want to desperately believe that government agencies and bureaucracies are out for our best interests. You know, they want Dave Baker to be kept safe and taken care of. No, I don't buy that. Do you believe Fauci's an honest broker? Do you believe Christopher Ray's an honest broker? Do you believe Merrick Garland's an honest broker? Do you believe Joe Biden's an honest broker? I don't. I mean, I think if they have a chance to side with the American people or the power and punitive nature of government, they're always going to side with the power and punitive nature of government because if they side with the American people, they're diluting their power. They're diluting their influence. They like being in charge. And we've kind of given in. We've kind of said, okay, in the name of safety and security, I'm willing to give up that freedom. In the name of being kept safe, I'm willing to give up, you know, that 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 um that liberty. And I just think we've we tilted the scales in, in such an unbelievable way. And the government's become very comfortable in these sorts of things. Let's go to the phone. Larry in the PD. Hey Larry. Hey, good morning. These people have been taught by their college professors, and we've talked about this, and, and there is a lot of it. That you got to realize when they look at a 4,500-acre hunting club, they go, you know, we know, we know that that's just full of rich fat cats who made themselves a little piece of heaven where they could just break the law and do whatever they want. We already know it. All we got to do now is go prove it. See, it used to be you had to prove it before you could say you know it. Now it's the other way around, and it's just like with this moral law thing. They look at the law, these cynical people, and they go, shoot, all we got to do is find somebody that will stand in front of the judge and swear to God that he saw uh, illegal documents at Trump's house. They'll give us the keys. They know it. We know Trump's done something wrong. All we got to do is get our chance. And so we do. they, they do this all the time. You know, the Duke lacrosse case. We know these white college boys are just out there raping people left and right. We know it. It doesn't even matter if they did it or not. They don't even retract the story. They, yeah, well, maybe they didn't, but we know it's going on. So this story is still important, even though we made it up. We know that Trump is evil, even if we make it up. It's more important for us to convince everybody that he's evil than it is to actually prove it. We just got to convince enough people of what we already know with no evidence, no facts, no eyewitnesses, no nothing. We, but we know it. These people are so full of things that they know. You can't talk them off of it. 
and they'll lie, they'll cheat, they'll steal, they'll sneak on your property at night, they'll stick a camera on a tree, they'll tap your phone, they'll buy evidence, they'll hire witnesses, they'll do anything that they can just to prove to the world what they already know. Well said. Thank you, Larry. Appreciate that. I don't know if I can add anything to that. that that's kind of like very few people express my feelings better than I do, but Larry may just have um, done that. So, so a private, uh, you got 4,400 acres of private property. Should or should not the government be allowed? Because the Pennsylvania Game Commission is an extension of the government. Should the government be allowed to enter that private property without the, the, the I mean, you know the answer to this. But they did, and now we're having a court decision, and um, there's this guy, Frank Stockdale, who's president of the Puxatawney Hunting Club, um, said if the courts don't step in, it, it's hard to imagine. He's, he's quoting Benjamin Franklin. I mean, Franklin was a, a Pennsylvanian and from, you know, that area, and he talks about some of the uh, the constitutional framers and, you, you know, but but I think Larry's exactly right here. Now, here's the problem, and here's the, here's the, um, the quandary we find ourselves in. If there has been... Uh, a universe of, I mean, it's kind of an orchestrated and organized, let's call it the um, the building of the cathedral. I mean, for argument's sake, I mean, I believe it to be true, maybe of you may not, but for argument's sake, let's say there is a cathedral. And the cathedral has conditioned these people to to not just believe they're right, but to know they're right. And in other words, the, the editor of the New York Times believes they're doing the right thing, the just thing, the moral thing, the ethical thing by calling Chuck Schumer to make sure it's okay, they run an op-ed by Tim Scott. I mean, just imagine that, guys, because listen, th- that's what is hard. It's hard for me to get in their shoes because I can't I can't justify that. I mean, there, there's no way you could get me there, but I think Larry explains it. They have been conditioned. They have been indoctrinated. They have been um, led to believe that, you know, things that don't fit their world order, their worldview have to be punished. They have to be dealt with. Tim Scott's not one of them. So in Tim Scott, uh, when, they're, when they're talking about whether or not to put a, an op-ed in the New York Times that Tim Scott wrote, what does the editor do? What do one of the senior members of the editorial board do? They go to Chuck Schumer. They want to make sure it's okay with Schumer. They don't want to fall out of good graces with Schumer because Schumer may call the New York Times and say, "Who? how dare you let Tim Scott put an op-ed without running it <laughs> by us? part of the same cathedral. I mean, it's, it's the cathedral, guys. I mean, the, I, I know what I'm – the Pennsylvania Game Commission is not the cathedral, but they're a part of it. They're absolutely a part of it. How does a Pennsylvania Game Commissioner office – I mean, imagine a guy that goes to school, probably a good old boy, loves the outdoors, loves hunting and fishing. Uh, you notice I said the G on both of those. Loves, loves hunting and fishing. <laughs> notice that. Uh, how, how does that guy all of a sudden feel okay to walk out onto 4,400 acres of property that he nor the government owns and hide cameras? I mean, just think of that. I mean, th- think of somebody who's a game warden. He's working with the Pennsylvania Game Commission. His his um, his superior says, hey, tomorrow night I want you and Joe to go over to the Pennsylvania, uh, excuse me, the Puxotani Hunting Club and, and hide about six or eight cameras. I mean, you know, the, the moral and ethical thing to do is to say, hey, man, that's private property. I'm not going to that private property. But but he didn't do that. Why, why didn't he do that? Because he wants to gain favor. What does he get when he gains favor? The more likely chance of a promotion, getting in good graces with the leadership. There may be a senator out there, a Democrat senator who knows who took the chance and went on that 4,400-acre track of land to catch those, you know, evil, wicked Probably rich white guys 
you know, who are members of this club. I mean, they've already made their mind up. That's who they are, and that's what they're doing. It's, it's a little bit, this is weird to say, Reb, but, but I, you know, I spent some time in government. There are some government officials who believe they're doing God's work by stopping you, mm-hmm. by, by challenging you. In other words, when somebody from the Pennsylvania Game Commission puts cameras in their truck in the middle of the night, goes on land that they don't own, that is barricaded, it's got locks and gates and, you know, no trespassing signs everywhere, they believe they're doing God's work because something nefarious has to be happening. Something out there is going on that we must stop. And we become, uh, to me, unbelievably comfortable with that. It would, it would amaze you and I to know how many of our friends would sit down and rationalize why the Pennsylvania Game Commission had a right to do that. You know, the, um, the, the checky license plates. I mean, you're riding down the road. There's a camera somewhere checking your license plate. If they find you've got some sort of infraction, late on time, whatever, whatever infraction you've got, I mean, they're going, you know, I mean, is that the country you and I want to live in? Because that's where we're headed. I mean, we're headed to a state-controlled economy. That doesn't economy. sound like a free country. Let me say, and that's what I was headed about. I mean, we're real good at criticizing China, you know, the communist regime of China. We just allowed a bill to be passed that is going to hire 87,000 new IRS agents. Do you think they're your friend? I mean, do you really believe the 87,000 new IRS agents are going to do, you know, um, God's work? No, they, they don't believe that they're getting enough of your money. And they believe that you're doing something um, uh, nefarious to keep your money. It, it's your money. You made it, but you, you owe the government a certain percentage. And if you don't give them every penny you owe them, then that's, you know, that they've got to do God's work. They've got to punish they, you. They've got to make sure that you're punished and you fall in line and do exactly what you're supposed to do. And I'm telling you guys, the only chance we have is some sort of revolution. I am strongly discouraging violence with something sad and crazy happened over the weekend in Cincinnati. I'm, I'm strongly discouraging any sort of fault of violence. But we must, in some way, shape, or form, become revolutionaries and stop things like this from happening. A camera doesn't need to be on someone's private property without them knowing about it. Period. End of discussion. The government has no right to go into 4,400 acres of private land and put a camera hoping to catch somebody doing something they shouldn't be doing and the government should not hire 87,000 new IRS agents to make sure you're giving the government all the money that they say you owe. You didn't say you owe them that money. They say you owe them that money. You didn't pass a piece of legislation to increase taxes or add a fee or add another layer of government that has to be funded and paid for. They did that. So, so, so you're sitting here kind of um, as a, as a, as a I don't want to say a passerby, but you're over here kind of doing your thing <laughs> trying to trying to just you know trying to keep, keep as between, much of your money as you can which things we, between the dishes sure, basically. i mean you're try, trying to live your life yeah. but it, it, we're, i'm telling you guys but is it anecdotal that uh this seems to happen when there's democrat control of government i mean the democrats now have control of the senate the house and the presidency and this is where you get an extreme amount of this control. And then if you get a Republican administration but, and Congress, it sort of backs well, off a but little. No, but, but you've had 50 years. I mean, academia is not going to stand against government intrusion or the punitive nature of government. The media is not going to do that. I mean, the cathedral is as one. So the media, academia, the bureaucratic agencies, so some of the um, 
the, the department heads and, and high-level supervision in Washington, I mean, they're not going to check themselves. They're not going to regulate themselves. The only hope we had was conservative Republicans, limited government Republicans, and they failed miserably. Why do you think we're voting for Trump? Why do you think we'd vote for Trump again? Because we believe he's the only one with the balls to stand against this sort of authoritarian government. I mean, that, that's really and truly when you think about it. Why do we want Liz Cheney gone? Because she's not been willing to stand against. I mean, the, the only, the only uh, impediment, the, the only um, <sighs> resistance that you could expect was from conservative Republicans, and they simply did not resist. That's why we want to throw the bums out. We want somebody in office as a Republican that will stand against the Pennsylvania Game Commission, that will stand against the IRS, that will stand against uh, the DOJ, that will stand against the FBI. I mean, I, we're a nation of laws, and we got to obey laws. But you don't always give the benefit of the doubt to the government agencies because, as Larry said, you know the DOJ wouldn't do that. You know the there's no telling what Dave, Ken, and Friol would do, but you know the FBI would never do that. You know the DOJ would never do that. Of course they would. They have, and they will continue until someone stands up against. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937. When you're walking alone on private land, you shouldn't have to worry about whether or not somebody's watching you. I mean, can we agree with this? Uh, and I would imagine the police sometimes have a reason to snoop. Uh, when they do, get a search warrant. Ask the landowner for permission. I mean, that, that would be my recommendation. Uh, and really and truly, that's what the Constitution says about, you know, some of these, um, once again, the Puxatawney Hunting Club versus the Pennsylvania um, Gaming Commission. That'll be kind of a, not Gaming Commission, uh, the their version of Game Wardens, which is called the uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Game Commission. I said, I said Gaming Commission. That's yeah. Las Vegas and, <laughs> yeah, that's and New Jersey. Yeah, that's not um the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Um, more primaries this week, including Wyoming that has Liz Cheney on the ballot, as well as Alaska with Sarah Palin and Lisa Murkowski in a hotly contested Republican primary. In the state of Alaska, Tanya Powers is in New York. She is with Fox News Radio, and she's with us this morning. Tanya, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. Did I miss anything, or what can you add? Uh, you Well, you've pretty much done it, so we're good now. And <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> right, let, 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 let me be real Southern. You ready? You ready? How bad do we think Liz Cheney is going to get whooped tomorrow in Wyoming? Well, there's a there let me let me kind of flesh a little bit of this out because there's a couple of things that um as you mentioned Liz Cheney this is probably the highest profile house primary I don't think I'm overstating that right I mean that it seems to be the one that a lot of people are um you know looking at even even folks who are not in Wyoming obviously uh, it's getting a lot of attention she is trying to hold back a Trump inspired challenge from Harriet Hageman who is a longtime activist in the Republican Party there in Wyoming. Um, that one is definitely getting a lot of attention. Also, the Lisa Murkowski race is getting a, a lot of attention as well. That's in Alaska. Um, she is being challenged by a, a Trump-endorsed uh, fellow Republican. Uh, it should be very interesting to see what happens in that race as well. Now, there's another uh, name that is going to pop up tomorrow on the ballot in Alaska. This is It just happens to coincide with the primaries. This is actually a special election. It's a ranked choice general election that they're having tomorrow. 
they just put it at the same time that the primary is being held. This one involves Sarah Palin. Uh, what they're doing in Alaska is picking a successor to Representative Don Young, who died in March. There's a Democrat and two Republicans. One of those Republicans is Sarah Palin, who are running in that race. And again, this is a special ranked choice general election. Um, if you're not familiar with ranked choice, it is where you know the candidates appear on the ballot, and you have to not just go, okay, that's the one I want. I'm done. You have to put them in order of who you want. Like, who do you want the worst? And then you have to rank them in the second and the third and the fourth. You, know, you can kind of go, go through them like that. Um, Alaska, matter of fact, Alaska, um, they have an at-large congressional district, which is also interesting. It's the top four primary is what it's called. There's 22 candidates running in this top four primary for an at-large House district, uh, U.S. House district seat. Uh, all the candidates will be on the same ballot, the top four finishers advance to a general election, and that's where they'll use the ranked choice voting. So again, they'll have to rank them in order. But what they got to do is go through these 22 candidates and rank them in order of, you know, who they want the worst to the least. And then they do that again in the general for the top four vote getters on that. It's, it's New York has ranked choice now. Took me a minute to get used to because I'm used to, you know, you go in there, you see, okay, this person, this person, this person, they're all running for, okay, I want that one, I'm done. Boom, let's go. Now with ranked choice, you've got to go, well, I don't know. Do I like this one more than I like that one? And, you know, what's the percentage of how much I like them? You know, it's, it's, it's something else that you've got to kind of give. You've got to give a little more thought to it, honestly. And, Tanya, I don't think Trump has endorsed a candidate in that, has he? I mean, I don't think Trump's endorsed Sarah Palin. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if, if he has or not. Yeah. I'm getting into, like, the polling numbers and sure. the endorsements and a lot of the minutiae between now and tomorrow because I'm sure I'll have to talk to them tomorrow. But as far as, like, kind of like a heads up on things, yeah, these, these look, you know, uh, I don't think a lot of us are invested in Wyoming and Alaska politics. However, this one, this time, is definitely getting the attention. Well said. Thank you, Tanya. Appreciate your time. And maybe mm-hmm. we talk about sure. uh, what happened on Wednesday. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Tanya Powers, Fox News Radio is in New York City. Um, is there any election that has, uh, I don't know, Rev, the, um, could you call the Cheney and Wyoming election kind of the epicenter of never Trump? I mean, no, does I anybody so. embody never Trump in an elected position? I'm not talking about the media. Forget New York Times and, and the Washington Post right. for a second. But is any elected official with R beside their name um, identified as never never trump like liz cheney has i hope she gets beat i like a drum i mean i hope she gets beat i mean mean, she she staked out that position she has public about it she's doubled down on it and she is all about it so so i guess yeah let's hope that the voters of wyoming send a message you know something to say the least well i want to say this real quick and then we'll go to our call um i was a big trump fan and then i waned a bit I mean, I did. I mean, I, you know, there, there was a period of time over the air. I said, I, I think we're better if Trump kind of rides off into the sunset, yep. kind of a tragic hero. Yeah, I think you caught he, some grief. I, I think he got screwed. I mean, I, you'll never convince me that something didn't happen in 2020. I don't know how we prove it because we'll probably never investigate it. Well, maybe if the Republicans get control of the House, they could go back and investigate the 2020 election. I mean, we've never had a thorough investigation of what happened. Or not. Bill Doyle probably did the best of the statistical anomalies and then, you know, um, 2,000 mules with Dinesh D'Souza, but I don't know that we've ever had an official accounting of what happened in 2020, but I was on the air for <laughs> probably... You were allowed to ask about it. Remember? Well, I mean, I was on the air for about a year saying, hey, guys, let's move past this. I mean, let, let's, you know, let's thank Trump for everything he did. 
uh, and we owe him an enormous amount of gratitude. This is the way rough and tumble politics are, uh, are to be played, and it works. You know, don't back down. Uh, if they hit you in the head with a stick, get a bigger stick and hit them back. Um, I've never, ever shied away from giving him the, the credit he deserves on um, issues like that. But I did feel like it was time for a DeSantis or a Hawley or I'd, I'd argue J.D. Vance. But no, I mean, no, I, mean, they, they, I, am, I am as sure now as I've ever been, Trump is inevitable. He has to be. I mean, they, we, we cannot let anybody else other than Donald Trump be the Republican nominee in 2024, period. End of discussion. He earns it. He deserves it. Love him. Hate him. Wish him to ride off in the sunset like I did and thank him. Now, some of you want him to ride off and not thank him. I wanted him to ride off, but thank him for all that he had done to reinvigorate the Republican Party. But but the, the events of um, recent times have led me to believe that if somebody's going to take care of this, it's only going to be going to be Donald Trump. Let's go to the phone. Carl in the PD. Hello, Carl. Hey, welcome home, Ken. I'm so <laughs> glad to hear that. And I'm not going to talk about this, but let me tell you that ranked choice voting is a scam, but I'll tell, talk about that later. Um, let me tell you this about the FBI. The FBI, since its inception, has always been a political police force. And I'm being serious about this. Now, they were responsible in the undermining of people like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and a lot of the civil rights um, people and black businesses in general. And um, they killed a lot of people and they put a lot of people in prison for no reason. Now, that's kind of water under the bridge, but now you, you have them doing it to you. All right. So I'm not, I'm not going to say, you know, that, that this is your comeuppance. I just want white people to not go the route that black people did with a uh, we shall overcome and uh, let's just, you know, kumbaya and join hands. No, you need to fight back and you need to make an example of these folks. And I promise you, um, you, will, you, are already, you are already inspiring other black men out here, um, you know, that are, that are highly political uh, with what they're doing. Do not let any, you know, because I, I, I watched this thing this all last week. I didn't call in at all because my thing was, look, if, if Donald Trump doesn't care about what happens to him, I don't care. I mean, I, I'm, I come from a family where my father was um, run out of politics and, and was uh, set up just like Trump was. And that's one of the reasons that I like Trump so much is because my father was kind of like Trump. He was independent, and he was a, you know, kind of a troublemaker and a reformer, and the establishment didn't like him. But he, you know, they couldn't do anything about him, and people loved him. And so, like I said, don't, do not turn, don't turn into nonviolent protesters like black people did because we are still, um, you know, we're still behind the eight ball, and we, you know, don't let what happened to us happen to you is all I can say. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate that. It's kind of an interesting take. And I've read uh, the American conservative. I think Rod Dreher may be the guy that wrote this, but they had an interesting article about the, 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 the Trump base is largely white, largely rural and largely working class. 
and they largely feel they're being discriminated against. I mean, when you think of discrimination and you're thinking about, you know, um, I don't know, stigmatizing people to putting people in certain categories, historically it's been minorities. You know, the women have been discriminated against. The blacks have been discriminated against. Uh, some of the other minorities have been discriminated against. The whites have never been discriminated against. That's insane. I mean, they run the joint. You know, the white male runs the place. Well, all of a sudden, a white male from the Rust Belt who saw globalization and intervention, he lost his kid in some stupid war in Afghanistan. He lost his job to a, um, a globalist contract in China, and he feels discriminated against. I mean, he does. I mean, it, th- th- there's kind of a, I mean, there's a theory out there floating around that a lot of the motivation for Trump support, once again, largely, um, largely white, largely rural, um, largely working class, without question, working class. Those people won't argue. I mean, they, they won't sign a letter saying, I, um, Dave Baker, working class American have lost a kid to an interventionist war, a president's war, a needless war, senseless war in Afghanistan. And I, Dave Baker, lost my 23-year-old job at the factory because of a globalist contract that allowed um, you know, China to be legitimized with the World Trade Organization in 2001. Therefore, I am now officially a member of America First. I mean, there, there's not a sworn document that anybody has signed, but there's a kind of an undercurrent. There's a political mindset that Dave Baker believes he's being discriminated against. And that's kind of unusual here. Once again, when you think of white male, you hardly think discrimination. But these white males who have seen uh, their, their livelihoods enormously changed in a very negative way, that they, they, they believe they, they've been discriminated against. Now, once again, Rev, the majority won't vocalize and verbalize, I've been discriminated against. Why? Because they're tired of hearing about discrimination. They're tired of hearing about blacks being discriminated against and women being discriminated against. They feel like blacks and women have as much chance to succeed as they do. You know, um, they lost their job. They lost their kid. Uh, their world is upside down. It's not it's not panning out like they anticipated, but, but they still don't want to say I've been discriminated against because the majority of their life, they don't want to hear much about discrimination. Uh, it's kind of a weird uh, mindset, but it's and if it's not a political theory, I'm not trying to advance it or advocate it as a political theory. It's kind of a um, a subconscious mindset amongst the white working class, in particular in rural America. Look at the data, guys. I mean, when you look at the data of the working class voters that Donald Trump has across the uh, the, the ideological perspective, uh, black, white, Hispanics. If you are a working class, if you're a member of the American working class there's a pretty good chance you're a Trump supporter. You may not verbalize it. You may be nervous about it. Some are more passionate than others. But Donald Trump has convinced working-class Americans that he's the best shot they've got. And once again, uh, discrimination, uh, they, they don't want to go down that road. I think Carl did a good job of articulating um, why the white working class is so supportive of Trump. They won't verbalize discrimination, but they really feel that the um, the establishment world order, the globalist interventionist, has really put them in a bad, bad place. And Trump doesn't like them, and they don't like him. And that's good. If you ask a Trump supporter, well, what about his policies, you know, do you believe would make your life better? And they, they, that most would say, look, they don't like him, and he doesn't like them. That's good enough for me. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hi, David. Hey, how y'all? Uh, reference back to the Donald Trump interview that you had, and the 
share a quick story. I met a man that he came all the way from New Jersey to go to that rally at the airport. And uh, I told him, I said, look, y'all need to listen to this 95.3. They're going to interview Donald Trump. And guess what? He listened to that interview, and he came back the next day. He says, you know, that host, he sure does have a funny accent. So he didn't understand your accent that day, Ken, but um, teams truly from New Jersey, uh, what what would be the names of the teams truly from New Jersey, not the Giants or the Jets? Quick trivia question for you. Uh, the Devils are a hockey team, right? Devils are a hockey team. Isn't that a great name for New Jersey? <laughs> uh, and then think about the USFL, the New Jersey Generals. Mm-hmm. And I think about Herschel Walker, and I man, I'm so disappointed. I saw on the internet uh, they have his ex-wife Cindy, and I've seen this before, and she's being interviewed about you know how Herschel abused her. And in the South, we don't hit women. Now we may have to restrain them from time to time, but we don't hit women. But what blows my mind is I'm seeing this on the internet, and Ken, do you know who sponsored that ad? I don't. Putting you on the spot just a little bit. The Uh, Republican Accountability Project, whatever this R-A-P-A-C. And I'm thinking to myself, and I I guess that's Bill Crystal and that whole deal. But does it make any sense that they would do this? I mean, wouldn't they want to support a Republican regardless? But they've got their own agenda. I mean, do they want to have Senator Reverend Dr. Warnock? be reelected to carry on this um, agenda that they have. Please explain this to me. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. Back in just a minute. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. 843-661-0937 is our number. I found Carl's comments pretty interesting and uh, discrimination, the discrimination uh, context after that, that, uh, that, White males may feel discriminated against in today's world. I guess that's in opposition to the government or in contrast to the well, government. Is, is that, is that but, what you're getting yeah, at? Yeah, but you got to divide it a little bit. It's not the white male. I mean, the white male that went to Harvard doesn't feel discriminated against at all. I mean, you know, he's privileged. He's elite. He's um he, he's in the clique. He's a member of the club. It's the oh. white male working class. I mean, the person that, that's going to work with their hands all day. I mean, you know, we, we've kind of um we've heaped – um, shame upon those who have to work with their hands. How you know? I mean, that's that's for the lesser of society. And um, I mean, I think we should celebrate these people because fundamentally, um, I think they're what makes the country great. They don't want to admit that they've been discriminated against because the majority of them just don't want to hear anybody has been. I mean, I don't want to hear from women who say they've been discriminated against. I don't want to. Hear, you know, this land offers opportunity to all. So so they kind of find themselves a little bit um, conflicted about how they feel. And and what they've historically believed, but it's not the white male. It's the white male without a college degree who has had to settle. I'm saying this sarcastically: settle for being a member of the American working class. Those people feel like the world has passed them by. And when you look at the uh, some of the demos in Trump's army, so to speak, um, it's overwhelmingly working class. They will they will absolutely defend his honor at all turns. The day the DOJ did what they did, um, those people working with their hands in the American working class were the most compelled to defend. 
defend Trump's honor, defend Trump's um, integrity, defend whatever. I mean, they just there's a bond there, Rev. And what the media's tried to do for about six years is drive a wedge between that universe of um, constituency and Donald Trump, and it hadn't worked. And it, it's a little bit like uh, remember the blip, uh, the uh, the 17 minute piece we played by the chairman of the Claremont Institute. Uh, a lot of people enjoyed uh, because I think that guy really nailed that mm-hmm. there's something about Trump that that they find so appealing, so attractive, and it's not complicated. We can try to complicate it if we choose. They want a brawler. They want somebody in their corner who they believe will throw a punch on their behalf. Nobody has until now. And it seems that Trump has kind of embraced that responsibility. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Fox News Radio's Jeff Manasso is in Chicago with us this morning to explain a little bit about the U.S. vehicle inventory. I mean, we have an automobile sponsor here on our show. And I mean, I, I do some live reads and it's always about used cars and trying to find inventory. These dealerships have struggled uh, mightily to find inventory and satisfy their customers. But Jeff, U.S. vehicle inventory falls to just a little better than one million. Yeah, good morning, my friend. So this is a kind of a good news, bad news report. It's a new vehicle inventory at the end of July, uh, basically covering it, the, the, the last 30-day period. Uh, was higher than it was a year ago when the global chip shortage began hurting production, but supply remains way down compared to pre-pandemic times. That from a Cox Automotive analysis. It shows a total inventory of about 1.9 million units as of July 25th. That's up about 2% or about 20,000 units from the year before. Day supply, about 37 uh, this marks the first time in the, this year that uh, the new vehicle supply has been higher compared with the same week last year. Overall, new vehicle inventory remains essentially unchanged from what it has been as production has not caught up with, with demand yet. A lot of people are still buying new cars. In 2020, new vehicle inventory was hovering around 2.5 million uh, at the end of July with a, a day supply of about 66. In 2019, pre-pandemic, it was 3.69 million units for about an 88-day supply of, of, of vehicles. Uh, and then, you know, you talk about asking price, that has climbed again. Uh, the average listing price uh, at the end of July was uh, $46,440, running about 11% above July from a year ago. And prices are expected to re- remain elevated due to continued high demand, low inventory, and, and record low incentives. There's no incentives out there anymore, or barely. Um, and the average transaction price, even though that uh, average listing price is about a little over 46000 average transaction price over $48,000. Interesting. Jeff, do we have any idea what it takes to get back to normal? I mean, I don't know what normal looks like. It's been so long ago. And I understand the semiconductors and chips and all these other sorts of things. But as dealers and manufacturers begin to try and reestablish normalcy, do we have any idea how long that will take? Well, we, we need to we need to fix the chip shortage thing for sure, uh, and 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 the parts is you know the supply shortages on, on just about everything that needs to be fixed. Also, you know, the worker shortages, uh, you know, globally, um, and, and so that's really affected not just the auto market but every market uh, out there. Uh, just about everything that we consume, uh, it, it's been affected by that. But I'm not sure that I'm not sure that dealers really want to go back to 
um, uh, you know, the days where, you know, they've got 3.69 million units for a supply of almost 100 days uh, sitting on their lots. Um, they've got few, very few vehicles now uh, on there, and they're going above MSRP. People are paying that money to get them. Uh, and, and, and so they're making a ton of money. And, and plus, you know, it adds to the used car market. You mentioned the used car market. I mean, they're, they're you know, used car market that 40, 45 uh, still up, up up about 40, 45%. So we're paying almost double what we paid for, for new cars as opposed to, you know, 2019, 2018. And so they're making a killing off of that. And so um, I, I'm not sure there's an appetite for dealers to get back because they're making a, they're making a killing. Well, explain. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Have a good week. You bet. That's kind of an interesting, I mean, I've thought this, I got some buddies in the auto industry or the auto dealership business, because once again, I was a truck body manufacturer and my livelihood depended upon relationships with dealers. Many of these car dealers have truck dealerships as well. Um, they're, they, they believe that GM Ford and, you know, some of the major manufacturers would like to deal directly with the customer instead of having to deal with the dealer. That's kind of a, um, that's an unnecessary element in the deal. Now, mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying that happens today or tomorrow, but I think they would rather Dave Baker go online, gm.com, Ford.com, and buy that vehicle. Now you got servicing and warranties and all these other sorts of things. But I believe, and I'll tell you what I think they'll do. They'll mandate of dealers to become uh, electric compliant. In other words, you've got to have the technology, the resources to work on electric vehicles. Some of these marginal dealerships will say, I don't want to make that sort of investment. I mean, I don't sell enough cars to invest a half million dollars in this business. You've already curtailed, you know, supply in such a way. I mean, if you're selling 30 or 40 a month and all of a sudden you can't get but eight or 10 or 12 inventory, um, you don't want to make that investment. So I think, I think the dealerships are forcing dealers to go out of business. I mean, obviously I think there'll be a payout, a buyout, some, some of money that they probably negotiated on the front end and will negotiate on the back end. But yeah, I mean, I believe that some of these less lucrative markets will see dealerships go away um maybe a consolidation to some of the major major markets but a lot of this will be blamed on the becoming um able to work on electric vehicles and some of them uh some what i call the marginal dealerships won't don't they just won't want to make that investment so they'll say um how much will you give me to close down and they'll make a deal mm-hmm. and they'll go home i mean that's kind of the way i think a lot of this will play out. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. Ken, now I'm, what I'm about to say, I don't necessarily agree with or disagree with, but Hester v. United States was a 1924 Supreme Court case, um, and they call it the open field doctrine. And basically what it says is in an open field, even if it's got no trespassing signs or, or gates or fences or whatever, um, you have no right to privacy. Um uh, that property owner has no right to privacy, and law enforcement can search it without a search warrant. Um, so basically meaning that whatever the way it was described about Pennsylvania wildlife agents going on that property, under the Constitution is completely legal. Now, Pennsylvania may have a, a state law or constitutional amendment um, curtailing that, and some states do. Um, but and that, and that's an old case now. It could get overturned, and it, it eventually could be said that, that, well, that wasn't sound doctrine. But, but Ken, when we think about these 87,000 agents, one, I mean, that's more than Williams-Brice Stadium. Um, and the other thing is if, we, if they disperse those agents by population, 
South Carolina would get more than 1,300 agents. That would make the IRS in South Carolina bigger than SLED, bigger than Highway Patrol, um, you know, bigger than most of your sheriff's offices combined. I mean, it's unreal what they're doing, and it's so important that we elect these folks um, that are going to go up there and actually do something um, instead of, uh, these typical Republicans we've been sending up there. But thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I thought of Jim this morning when I read a story. Someone sent me something over the weekend. Um, Jim's always been one of these advocates for electing judges. And uh, I, w- I want to get back to his comments first to make sure I give him the uh, the proper consideration. Um, the, the Pennsylvania Constitution guarantees the right of the people to be, hear their words, not mine, secure in their possessions from unreasonable searches. So if that land is your possession, is the the Pennsylvania Game Commission coming on your property in the middle of the night installing cameras, is that an unreasonable search? I mean, I guess it's up to interpretation. You know, contract law. I mean, there are contract lawyers on every street corner. You know, we have disagreements. We have debates. We have lawsuits. We have litigation. I mean, we're always arguing about something in American discourse, and lawyers normally get real involved in this. But I read the Pennsylvania Constitution, actually highlighted, I didn't read in its entirety, but I read and highlighted um, the the language that the the hunting club is arguing, um, says reasonable, secure in their possessions from unreasonable searches. Um, And once again, now you got the Hester case, as as Mike said, excuse me, Jim said, you know, allows the, the government to do these sorts of things. To me, the Constitution, um, I mean, a statute doesn't carry the day. I'll give you an example. I read all weekend that if Trump's indicted, he can't run for president. That's not the case. I'm sorry. That's just not the case. The The Constitution speaks directly to the presidency. It may not to county council or city council. And if you're running for the Senate and you've been indicted, you may have a problem there. But, but the Constitution clearly says that the, the only two things you've got to be is over the age of 35 and a natural-born American citizen. I mean, it's as simple as that. So are we going to go to statutory authorities, uh, the law in Pennsylvania, the law in Oregon, the law in South Carolina, the law here, the law there? I get the Hester case, and I get there's legal precedent. I understand what Jim's saying, but but the, the Pennsylvania Constitution guarantees the people the right to be secure in their possessions from unreasonable searches. Is it or is it not unreasonable for the government to climb over a fence to install cameras on property they don't own without a search warrant? To me, it's not. I mean, that, that is a very unreasonable right. search. I mean, I, I, once again, th- they will refer to legal precedent. The the, the hunting club will argue um, that the, the law basically says, because you can also go back and... Um, and look at um, Pennsylvania. I read a good bit about this over the weekend. You can also go back and look in Pennsylvania where state lawmakers basically in 1986 disregarded that constitutional favor that the American, excuse me, the people in Pennsylvania, um, when they passed legislation allowing Pennsylvania game commission officers to intrude on private land unannounced and without warrants or consent. So installing a spy camera on private land, um, does that push the boundaries of that law? Does the legislator, the legislature, have a uh, an option to obligate themselves to the Constitution or not? That that's really the argument we're trying to make here. 
I mean, the Pennsylvania state constitution says, once again, possessions from unreasonable searches. The state lawmakers in 1986 say that, you know, um, the Pennsylvania Game Commission officers do have a right to intrude on private land unannounced, without warrants, without consent. But, I mean, you see where we are. I mean, that, that's similar to what we're talking about with Trump. The, the, the statute says that somebody under indictment cannot run for office. The Constitution says they can. And, and we, we got all these statutes and all this legislation and all these laws we passed that violate the Constitution. And, and I guess this will boil down to the state Supreme Court in Pennsylvania. Do they believe in the state's Constitution? Or do they believe in legislative overreach? I'd have to look at the makeup of the court. But I can tell you this. Let's find out if Democrats appointed or Republicans appointed, and I'll tell you what their interpretation <laughs> will be. Because if Democrats have been appointed, they will. the legislative overreach will not be that bothersome to them. If it's true conservative Republicans that believe in a constitutional form of government, the Constitution sets the, the standard, and you've got to be very, very careful in um, legislative overreach. I'll give you another example. I'm going to go to Jim here for a second. Interesting, we're talking about the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. Um, the chair of the judiciary in South Carolina, um, his wife has filed to run for the state Supreme Court. Stick with me for a second. Um, so the chair of the judiciary in the South Carolina House of Representatives um, his wife, don't want to call his name, don't want to be personal. Here, you can look at that. His wife has declared herself a candidate for uh, the South Carolina Supreme Court. Should the wife of a sitting judiciary chair in the General Assembly of South Carolina be allowed uh, to present herself as a candidate for the South Carolina Supreme Court when the 170 members of the General Assembly in South Carolina elect that judge? I mean, is that home cooking or not? You know what's more odd than that? Well, it's not more odd, but you know what adds to the oddity of that? She's going to replace, if she's elected, um, a lady who was elected a member of the South Carolina Supreme Court when her husband was a member of the South Carolina General <laughs> Assembly. See, I made a prediction last week, and I'll stick to this. I think the Murdoch case, the Murdoch case, depending on where you're from and, and how you pronounce it, it's spelled Murdoch. I've heard it pronounced Murdoch, and I've heard it pronounced Murdoch. I think they pronounce it Murdoch, so that's, you know, we'll go with, with Murdoch. But I think the Murdoch case will force South Carolina to reevaluate its judicial system. Now, now, what comes out of that, I have no idea. We're one of two states. I think we in Virginia allow the General Assembly to elect judges. So we've got a, a, a chairman of the Judiciary Committee going to be allowed to rally votes, Maybe cut a deal. Maybe do five. I don't know. Once again, I don't know the guy. I have no idea who he is. Um, I know the name, but I, I, he was not there when I was there. Don't know who he is. Never met him. Uh, I'm not saying it's good or bad or indifferent. I'm just simply providing information. Seems like an absolute least, though. They'd have to recuse themselves from a vote. Well, I would right. imagine he's got to recuse himself, but does that stop him from going to work, you know, to try to rally votes? I mean, he chairs the judiciary. That's a pretty powerful True. position in the South Carolina General Assembly. Um, and, and here's what's even more odd. The person she's going to replace if she's elected <laughs> was also a uh, elected when her husband was a member of the South Carolina General Assembly. Mm -hmm. We got to work on this, guys. I mean, That's I don't a care. It's an insider deal. Well, I mean, it's two insider rep. Yeah. Stop with that. I mean, it's two insider. And, and I'll tell you, these consecutive examples have kind of made me believe that we, we've got to elect judges. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't want judges with billboards and asking for contributions, but, but is that as bad as a judiciary chair? 
rallying votes, soliciting support for his wife to be a member of the South Carolina Supreme Court. I, I just find, I mean, I, you know, once again, I don't like the fact that judges are going to be on billboards. I don't like the fact that judges are going to be soliciting contributions. And I've heard members of the General Assembly, and I've heard those who say this system is better. There's no way this system is better than that. I mean, if this system allows a sitting member of the General Assembly, while they're a member, their wife being elected to the South Carolina Supreme Court, and now it happened again when this person decides to retire, that's just, that, that's, I don't know how you defend that. I mean, I, in all, and I don't it's know the people. Crazy. And I mean this sincerely. The people may be as good and decent as anybody could ever imagine, and maybe they are. I mean, there's people in this district apparently think a lot of the man because he got elected to the General Assembly, and he now chairs the judiciary. But, but there, there, there's a, when people are this skeptical of government, and people have this much suspicion about whether their government's doing the right thing or not, um, I, I just think you've got to address this. And, uh, you know, I, I, probably Friday, Rick and Bob Jordan or, or Lowe won't show up if I say this, but I think this is something we got to talk about. I mean, I think this has to be a topic of conversation. Um, are you, as a member of the General Assembly, comfortable with the wife of the chair of the Judiciary Committee today being a candidate for the Supreme Court? And, you know, I mean, that's just that puts everybody in a very compromised position. And and once again, I, I thought that was odd until I said, damn, she's trying to replace this lady who who was elected with her it's, husband. It's not a new concept. It's, a, yeah, apparently. It's, it's not a new concept at all. And um, and I think, you know, a lot of people believe and, and once again, I think when the Wall Street Journal, they did a uh, about a five thousand word expose on the Murdoch case. And I think that's where we're headed. I think the Murdoch case will reveal certain things about our judicial system that the American public are going to say, what? They do it how? Take a break. Back in a minute. I want to go back to this case in Pennsylvania because there's so much more to this. Um, when should the government be allowed to surveil? I mean, I think there's a, there's a time. I mean, of course there is. I mean, they expect... Uh, let's say drug activity. Let's say this house, uh, and you call, let's say, Rev's neighbor. He has a suspicion that his neighbor's growing marijuana. Rev acts on his suspicion. He calls law enforcement. He says, hey, man, I think my neighbor's growing marijuana. What should happen then? I mean, to me, they should interview Rev, right? Mm -hmm. and, and whether he's credible or not, and then they should uh, warrant. issue a search warrant. You know, and so, so, so to me, in this Pennsylvania Game Commission case, if you believe there's something nefarious going on on the uh, on the hunting club property, then then go to the ownership and say uh, we're going to search. You know, but but I just don't know how unsolicited you're able to go into property. Or are we not innocent to proven guilty? I mean, it, it it does go to Trump. I mean, it really does, guys. I mean, we've normalized these sorts of things. And when you look back at the founders, they were so nervous about these sorts of things. They knew that if you gave human beings the authority to legislate randomly and, 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 and aggressively, they probably take you up on it. The government believes this person's a crook. They believe this industry is full of crooks. They believe, so they're going to police it accordingly. And I, you, see, you can't show me the man, I'll show you the crime. I mean, this is, that's what Trump is. Show me the man, I'll show you the crime. That there is, it's, it's kind of the NCAA phenomenon. I mean, I've always said this. Um, if somebody investigated the University of South Carolina, well, first of all, why would they? But if they did, and they said, you know, we believe that a booster at the University of South Carolina gave Jadavion Clowney a car, 
and they get about, you know, they, they inquire, they, they file the proper documents, they, they, um, they notify the University of South Carolina, you're now under formal investigation. I want to see all the information about Jadavion Clown is recruiting, and they find out, they get everything, they come do their wits in, and there is no evidence that somebody bought him a car. Well, I mean, they'd go back and say, hey, boss, there's no evidence that anybody bought that kid a car. Well, surely they bought him a meal. Surely somebody gave him a sweatshirt or a baseball cap. Surely something, go back and find something they did wrong because we've already declared them somewhat of an adversarial. We ta- we've taken an adversarial position with that university. Now, now, once again, they may not have bought him a car, but you know damn well they did There's something. There's got to be a crime here. Sure. Go figure out what it is. But, 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 Rev, I mean, we seem to be okay with that. We, the American people, seem to be okay with that. That's alarming to me. That's concerning. It should not surprise you that Merrick Garland chose political retaliation. I mean, there's nothing surprising about this. It shouldn't surprise you that the DOJ and FBI were complicit in this. What should surprise us is how many millions of Americans, because I've seen the tweets and I see the retweets and the likes, you know, it's about time they put Trump in prison. For what? Because he's an ass? I mean, really? I mean, the prison would be full. We'd have to build new prisons on every street corner if that was if everybody was one of those were incarcerated. But but we the people seem to be okay with that. And once again, our political inclinations are not predicated upon liberties and freedoms and some of the foundational principles and ideals of America. And when you look at a hunting property, okay, it's forty four hundred acres in Pennsylvania. Who cares? I mean, it's not my land. It's not my livelihood. It's not my privacy. It's not respecting, you know, adhering to, to my constitution. But that's the way government operates. Somebody working for the government felt comfortable crawling across a fence, walking in the middle of the night on property they didn't own, had no right to be on, and installing cameras. I mean, imagine, just kind of work yourself through that. So, so I'm in a pickup truck. I'm in a Pennsylvania game commission with our game wardens. So somebody's in a game warden truck. They're driving up to a, to a hunting club, 4,400 acres. There's a lock. There's a fence gate. There, there's no trespassing signs. And with no search warrant, with no, I don't know, Rev, with no evidence of anything having been wrong, because they didn't serve a warrant. They climbed the fence. They install cameras. They get in their truck, and they go home, and they don't tell anybody. And we, the American people, seem to be okay with that. And if we're okay with that, or a large plurality are okay with that, we'll get exactly what we deserve. We'll have fewer freedoms tomorrow than we had today. We'll have fewer liberties the day after tomorrow than we had um, tomorrow. That, that's just kind of it's the nature of government creep. And once again, I believe, and Larry said it better than I, they know that you're doing something wrong. You know why they know? Because they've been told by academics and by the media that, that you know, these, these conservative gun, um, gun-carrying, Bible-believing conservatives, you, you better keep your eye on them. You know that hunting club is full of a bunch of white Republicans. You know how much of white male Republicans who own guns are. You know they're breaking a the law. Somewhere behind that gate, there's law being broken, and we've got to get to the bottom of it. And if anybody had any courage, they'd say, based on what, boss man? I mean, there's a lock on that gate for a reason, to keep people out. What makes you believe we have the authority? But because you suspect they may be doing something? Or do we know they're doing something? Because if they, if we know they're doing something, I've been taught and trained 
and, and made to believe there's a search warrant that has to be involved. But no, not in America today. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. <clears throat> I think we're at the point in our republic to where when Benjamin Franklin said it's like a fire, you know, you can keep it under control and it's a, a blessing to you, but you let it get out of control, it's a disaster. We have to elect people to Congress that's willing to cut the funds off. You got to starve them to death. They keep saying Trump is a democracy killer. Well, of course he is. I'm not in favor of a democracy. Nobody in the United States is in favor of a democracy. We're a representative republic. These people keep putting everything off on one side because they're the ones that are doing it. Look at Obama's AG, Eric Holder. He told us he was Obama's wingman. He took the subpoena from the Congress of the United States and said, up yours. I'm not giving you any documents. I'm not answering your subpoena. I'm not even showing up. And then when they do show up, they don't answer any questions. Like the other day, Ray was in there. Well, it's time for Congress. If if we can get some people in there, the first time they don't answer a question that they have oversight on to say, okay, your budget's cut 50% until you answer this question. And you're going to be back here in, in, in two weeks. And if you don't answer it again, I'm going to cut your budget 50% again. And just keep doing that because that's what they understand. It takes money to run their agencies. These IRS agents, that's going to be added to the, to the budget. That $80 billion or whatever it is, that's not a one-time expenditure over 10 years. That's going straight to the budget every year. That's how they do it. They, they keep increasing, 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 and you ask them to cut, and the first thing they say is, oh, well, we got to cut teachers and firefighters because that's, they know that that's the lowest level that will affect you. So we've got to get some people with some, some guts to go in there and say, no, we're not going to fund this, and if it takes shutting this damn thing down, then so be it. Shut it down. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Someone's there. Let's go to the phone. Next is Ashley in Poston's Corner. Hey, Ashley. Good morning, fellas. Um, uh, like I was trying to say Friday, uh, the birthday party came through. I think I think the information that the uh, America First is finally starting to trickle down from national politics to local politics. I think I think you're starting to see a, a a brand new group of young individuals, older individuals, people that really didn't pay attention to what was really going on, start to pay attention because they see it on the national news. Now they're starting to pay attention on the local news. So I mean, you take that guy's wife running for the Supreme Court of South Carolina. How does he fix his mouth? And and I'm not going to say no names neither because I've read the story too. How does he fix his mouth to say? I think that my wife, me being in this position, is right to run. 
like you say on on the radio. My mama say you can't fix your mouth to say that. Thank you, Ashley. Appreciate that. Um, mm-hmm. Once again, now they'll argue because I've read some of this, and I, I, I was in Columbia. I spent a, a stint in Columbia. They'll argue that why should um, the spouse of a sitting member of the General Assembly be excluded from certain things? They just should. They just should resign from the General Assembly. I mean, if your wife wants to be a Supreme Court justice, give your proposition, give up your position as a member of the South Carolina General Assembly. Make a decision. I mean, a lot of people put gas in the car or the truck. I mean, p- people make decisions every second of their lives. You, you make a decision, and, and sometimes you gain something to give up something. Sometimes you give up something to gain something. I, I just think it's, it's insanity that we're allowing some of these things to be normalized. We can have debates about it. We can have, uh, you know, reasonable conversations about what you believe and what I believe. Um, but I thought about Jim when I read this, because Jim been such a kind of an advocate for electing judges. Um, I think Jim accepts that it's not the um, the perfect way to do it, because you do have judges campaigning. You do have judges asking for votes. You do have judges raising money and on billboards and radio advertising. And, and I get all that. But and, and it's, it would be less excuse me. It would be. If the if the sitting member, if the judiciary chair and a sitting member of the General Assembly were okay, were not okay with his wife being a candidate for the Supreme Court justice, I think people would back away from electing judges. But it's almost like the 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 what I'll call the belly of the beast, the insiders, the establishment. And it's normally at Washington. I mean, it, it really is. It's normally about about Washington. I don't think Columbia. I mean, I'm sure local politics doesn't. Um, you know, have that much insiderism or that much to gain by being an insider. Um, but I think this is an example. It's something we've talked a lot about, the debate about judges and, and magistrates. Um, I am very uncomfortable with a, a judiciary chair remaining a member of the General Assembly while his wife is soliciting support from the 170 members of the General Assembly to become a Supreme Court justice. I mean, that just doesn't smell quite right. I'm sorry. It's nothing personal with me. And then you find out that the person she's replacing or trying to replace and the running to replace was also selected when her husband was a member of the South Carolina General Assembly. Something has to be done about that. We can't have that. We can't allow that sort of um, insiderism to continue to reign supreme in government, period, whether it's the local level, whether it's the state level, whether it's the, the national level. People are highly suspicious of government and government continues to make it pretty easy to be highly suspicious of. Let's go to the phone. Excuse me. Let's take a break. Don't want to get too far behind like we did last time. Take a break. Hang in there, caller. We'll get to you as soon as we get back on the other side. 843-661-0937 is our number. So you've been up there in Columbia. You certainly must know how this works. How I presided how to- over some of the joint sessions that elected judges and trustee members of universities the people, and the, the like. Someone in a judiciary committee, they, they nominate a person to, to sit anybody, on the Supreme Court? You, anybody, can, I mean, you can, anybody can nominate themselves. I mean, you can say, I want to be a judge. You fill out some paperwork. You go before a screening committee. You send your name, your resume, all your credentials. You go before a screening committee. The screening committee has three members of the Senate three members of the House, and four private citizens. Those 10 people screen three candidates out. So in other words, for this judgeship, there could be 100 candidates. The screening committee, which once again consists of three senators, three House members, and four private citizens, they'll interview 
They'll they'll quiz. They'll ask questions. All this is in is in public. Um, the screening committee will screen out three candidates. Those three candidates will fight for votes. They'll lobby members of the General Assembly. Um, friendlies will help and foes will not. And then the three is normally done by acclamation. I mean, when you go to the to the day of the vote, there's always there's always somebody who knows they're doing. That's when everybody else just bows out. Okay. And they win by, you know, acclamation. And that's just, um, in other words, if um, if Rev and I are in the, the last two and I know he has more votes than I do, why am I going to put the, I mean, I might want to do it again. So to save face, I get out of the way, let Rev have it this time. And a lot of times they'll say, look, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll back out, you know, if you'll buy out of this race, we'll make sure you get it next time. I mean, that happens a lot with some of these trustee positions and some of these hotly contested uh, judicial races, but that's how it works. Uh, you could say, I want to be a judge. You submit your name and resume. The screening committee um, interviews you publicly, three House members, three senators, four private citizens. The three finalists go before the General Assembly. And that's when you kind of lobby votes and, um, you know, majority leaders, minority leaders, cut deals and all these other sorts of things. Um, I'm not saying it's a terrible way, but but it's a terrible way when the chair of judiciary has his wife as a candidate. Once again, I'm not saying they're bad people. Please understand. I don't know the person. I mean, I know his name, but I don't know him. He was not there when I was there. Um, and I'm just not personal with me. The system has to be revised, changed. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Hi, Mike. You're on the air. Well, I think I agree with you 100%. The, uh, the system really needs to be tightened up uh, substantially. And people need to start paying attention to who these uh, judges and magistrates are. You have a situation like they had over here in Darlington. Uh, well, I guess the arrest was made in Florence, but so on a weekend, the magistrate uh, had a couple of foreign na- nationals with uh, firearms, a substantial amount of drugs, and $66,000 in cash, and they let them go with the the pittance of a bond, and uh, I, don't, I don't reckon they'll ever come back for those guns and drugs. But uh, that's the kind of thing that goes on. Now, if uh, you don't pay careful attention to who gets uh, appointed to uh, positions like that, that don't normally affect law-abiding people, but it affects the community substantially. The uh, but the the thing that concerns me the most is this election coming up, and I'm, I keep asking this in different forms over and over again. We've had a situation where we've year after year we've had Republicans go to Washington, and they get up there and they get a majority in the House or it, it, maybe even the presidency too, and uh, all of a sudden uh, they don't have any hands. We can't lay a hand to that, and they're sitting on both hands at the same time. I I, I don't understand why they they're obligated to do that, and otherwise seemingly decent people. They, all of a sudden, they're sitting on their hands and uh, not doing a thing when it needs to be done. They need to cut these funded, defund uh, uh, these agent, rogue agencies. And uh, some of these agencies we don't need at all. The Department of Education has uh, damaged the educational system more than it's helped by far. And uh, some of the some of these uh, departments. Uh, the Energy Commission and those those things, they just need to be done away with altogether because they don't do a, a, a blooming thing to help the people or the economy or the world. 
And this stuff about green energy, you got to stop that because it is not green energy. There is no such thing as green energy right now except for the uh, crops in the field. That's green energy. But uh, they want to do away with that and put up a bunch of solar collectors. And uh, well, I guess we're going to magically get our food from elves and uh, fairies that are going to deliver it from uh, Amazon. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. You know, I was thinking about this over the weekend. Um, what do the Republicans need to do if they get in charge? Once again, their control will be limited. I mean, for argument's sake, let's say they win the House, win the Senate, they pass a piece of legislation, the governor veto, excuse me, the president vetoes, they're not going to have the ability to override a veto. I mean, they're, they're, they don't have those sorts of majorities. Uh, what you really got to do is when the stars align and you have a majority of the House, Senate, and the White House, you got to just aggressively pursue the objectives and goals just of like your the party. the Democrats are doing right now. You better, I mean, give them a little credit. I mean, they, they, they know what they want and they're going out for it. But, but my scorecard would be pretty simple. Does this make life better or not for the American people? Does the IRS make life better or not for we the people? Does the DOJ make life better or not for we the people? I think we all agree there has to be some collection agency to fund the government. We all agree there has to be some law and order in America. Does, does the FBI, but once those organizations breach the trust of the American people, you cut their funding. The, the, the legislative branch is the appropriator. They have the, I mean, they have the checkbook, so to speak. I mean, that's kind of the way the founders intended. Um, there are a lot of executive privileges at the White House, but the legislature appropriates or, you know, defunds, cuts funding. Back in a minute. I don't remember what caller it was who earlier brought up the Republican res- accountability uh, group. I mean, there, there's a group out there. I mean, it's not the Lincoln Project. That's uh, that's Bill Crystal to some degree, but Crystal's founded some organization called the Republican Accountability um, I don't know, consolidation, consortium, whatever. I mean, there, there's some group out there uh, parading around us, uh, holding Republicans accountable. The two races that we should pay closest attention to, I mean, I understand you want revenge. And Liz Cheney's kind of the poster child of never Trump or Trump derangement syndrome or, you know, really and truly, I think the, the reason Cheney is so symbolic is her family is such a creature of Washington. <laughs> I mean, she's from Virginia. Uh, I mean, they moved to Wyoming and her father. Anyway, I mean, it's kind of a long story. They spent a day or two or three a year in Wyoming. <laughs> and a little more to the intrigue is her father was public enemy number one to the Democrats. Yeah, and now they're rallying around the Cheneys. So there's um how much you hate Trump there front and center. But I think the Cheney, the Cheney um, election tomorrow in Wyoming, the storyline is, is the biggest. I mean, it's, it's Trump and his faction and his Cheney and the establishment. Uh, she's going to get killed. I mean, H- Hagman is going to get, it's a plurality state. In other words, Hagman could be elected to the House or a Republican nominee, which gets you elected to the House in Wyoming uh, with 40% of the vote, but she'll probably get north of uh, 50% unless something crazy happens. Um, Liz Cheney has raised about $9 million from people who don't live in Wyoming. Of course. She's raised about $300,000 from people who do live in Wyoming. I mean, there's just not a lot of people in Wyoming. I mean, it's a sparsely populated state, one House member. So she's running a statewide election, one of the few states in America that has more senators than House members. I mean, it's normally inverted, you know, based on population. And a state will lose a seat, state will gain a seat. Um, South Carolina, I predict, will gain another seat. I think we'll have, um, what is it, seven? I think we'll have eight um, House members come 2030 
when we do the recent census because it's a top five state in migration into um, kind of an interesting dynamic phenomenon this happening. Uh, Philip Lowe talked a little bit about this several weeks ago. The percentage of revenue collected by the state's General Assembly via the income tax is in decline. And the reason it's in decline is retirees are coming to the coast of South Carolina and they are not working. I mean, they're working part time. They're getting Social Security and pension and some have done real well in business. Uh, may sold a big business for a lot of money and decided to come down south. It's kind of interesting. I was at a particular restaurant a couple of weekends ago at the beach, Pauly's Island, and the guy asked me if we were local. And I said, no, we're from Florence. He said, you're the most local of anybody in here. <laughs> he said, you're the first people from South Carolina I've served all day today. And it was at about wow. 530. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm at all these people that moved in from Pittsburgh and and Philadelphia and, uh, you know, Cincinnati and Chicago and, and Detroit and wherever. I mean, just somewhere other than um, native South Carolina. And it's really changed the landscape of South Carolina politics in a major way. But but go back to Cheney. I think Cheney is symbolic of the great friction between the establishment elitist Republican and uh, the Trump world. Make America great again. America first. The two races that I think we should pay the closest attention to are the Pennsylvania Senate race and the Georgia Senate race. Um, you got Oz and Fetterman in Pennsylvania. You got Warnock and Walker in Georgia. And there's so many things pl- at play here. Um, Fetterman is raising a lot of money out of state again. A lot of Virginians. Imagine that. A lot of Virginians are giving money uh, and a lot of case Street, you know, lobbying and consulting firms or giving a lot of money to Fetterman. Um, Fetterman's never made any money. I mean, he, you know, he dresses like a bum because he is one. Uh, you know, and in some of his financial disclosures, he, he lived in his parents' home until he was in his mid-40s, never had a job, never made uh, much of any money, but he's lieutenant governor, and now he's a candidate for a Repu- excuse me, Democrat nominee for um, senator. In, in, uh, so, I mean, he'll get the biggest raise he's ever had. I mean, he'll have more income than I'm sure he's ever had in his life. It's not about income, and I'm not calling the guy bomb. Uh, but I am because uh, he lived in his mom's basement till he was 45 and, uh, you know, kind of um, figured out a little bit like Bernie Sanders. I mean, most of um, I mean, Bernie's early days. Well, Bernie's never been a big fan of capitalism until he got famous and wrote a book and all these other sorts of things. And he, he seems likes, to have adjusted quite well. well. I mean, he's, he's adjusted well. But I mean, he, you know, early in Bernie's life, he bummed around. He didn't work anywhere. You know, it was kind of an activist. He went to these communist gatherings and uh, became the American in support of communism. And Bernie saw that as a lane to uh, make some political hay out of that. But I, but I want to go back to this because um, Pennsylvania and Georgia are going to be very important, not just because there's going to be hotly contested Senate races, but because we're going to have elections in two states where we don't believe we had fair elections the last time we did it. I mean, how many, how many of you listening to my voice right now believe that there was a free and fair election in Georgia? that there was a free and fair election in Pennsylvania. So we've got two states that that a lot of the Trump world believe something doesn't add up in Pennsylvania, something doesn't add up in Georgia. Um, see, I'm a little bit alarmed. Here's what concerns me. There's no way that Fetterman is up by nine on Oz. I mean, there's just no way. Um, Bill Clinton won 28 of Pennsylvania's 67 counties in 1996, in 2012, Barack Obama won 12 or 13 of those counties. About 40,000 Democrats have 
switch to Republican. So, so when you look at Pennsylvania, it's, it's trending red. I mean, it really is. It's trending red. And, and 38,000 in the last uh, six months, 38,000 Democrats changed their registration to Republican. I mean, the media won't tell you this, but the media's got polling companies like Emerson. Um, John Bolton has a polling company that Pennsylvania Democrats are relying upon that has Fetterman up nine or 10. There's no way. I mean, if that state is that hotly contested and going to be that close, there's no way that those polls are accurate. Here's what I'm afraid of. The polls are trying to set the narrative for the cheating. Well, I mean, this is yeah, what the polls say. I mean, this is, remember Kahaley, when, when Robert was here and said before the election that Trump was up three or, he said, I think he said Trump's up three, but he needs to be up six because that's how much Pennsylvania will, will tilt to the day the up. That they'll beat, you know, that there'll be so much shenanigans going on in Pennsylvania that Trump better win by six. If he wins by three, he loses. Well, I mean, I don't want to say Robert's prophetic, but look at what happened in the 2020 presidential election. So Clinton in 96 wins 28 of the Pennsylvania 67 counties. Obama in 2012, it's either 12 or 13 that he won. And I read uh, maybe Thursday or Friday of last week that about 40,000 Democrats in Pennsylvania has switched to Republican. So it's trending red. But it's not it's not Ohio. It's not Florida. But it looks to be kind of heading that way. It's still a swing state. I mean, there is no doubt about it. And it may or may not still favor the Democrats. The data kind of sort of shows it favors the Republicans. You've got um you've got a president, a Democrat president with historically low ratings. You've got the right track, wrong track number. And and when I see these polls, something doesn't make sense there until I see who did the polls. And then I realize those are rigged polls. It's probably a toss-up. But but something just makes me real paranoid about, do they know something I don't? Or are they trying to predispose a narrative that this is what is supposed to happen in Pennsylvania? And, and Georgia is a little bit similar to that. Um, but I've not kept up with the data in Georgia like I have. I may try to get Robert to come on this week. And let's go through. I mean, Cheney's going to lose tomorrow. I have no idea what happens in Alaska with Murkowski in the Senate race and Palin in the House race. I mean, that's kind of interesting. Um, Trump's endorsed a candidate opposing Lisa Murkowski. I have no idea how that works out because I've not kept up very much with what's going on. Um, I've always looked at Cheney as you, you can't let her win. I mean, some way, mm-hmm. somehow, you got to beat Liz Cheney. And I think she'll get her whooping. She'll get her comeuppance uh, tomorrow. But but I still look at these two states, Georgia and Pennsylvania, as critical because once again, Trump can't win the presidency in twenty twenty four, losing Pennsylvania and Georgia just can't. I mean, just can't do it. Yeah, uh, you, you got to turn Georgia back red, and and the only way to do that, or the only way to make sh- more sure or more assured of that, is to figure out a way to get African Americans in the metropolitan Atlanta area to vote for a Republican. I mean, that's really where this boils down to. It's almost like you've got Atlanta and then you've got Georgia. And and Georgia is as conservative as South Carolina. Atlanta is not. Atlanta's not a liberal bastion, but it has a high percentage African-American vote. And we know the propensity African-Americans have to vote for, for the Democrat. Now, we'll see how that plays out. But um, but when I, when I read these statistics, I'm encouraged until I think about who's in charge of Pennsylvania elections. 
It's a little bit different in Georgia. See, I'll be very interested in Georgia um, because they've made some major adjustments. They've changed the law. They've changed the law. I mean, there's no doubt about that. They've not done a lot in Pennsylvania. Um, They've done a little bit to to have a, a more free and fair election, but they've not done enough that would make you nor I comfortable. But those two states are very interesting um, to me. Now, now, once again, Oz says that he'll spend whatever it takes. Fetterman's raised a lot of money from outside of uh, Pennsylvania. Somebody asked Oz last week, you know, how much of your personal wealth are you willing to spend? And he said, we're going to spend what is necessary to win. Now, I don't know how much money Oz has. Um, does he have 30 or 40 or 50 million dollars? Is he willing to part with five or six or seven million of that? Don't have any idea. Um, will Trump, you know, come in? I mean, I think Trump owes these guys. And I think the most ardent Trump supporter will still agree that if Trump's got a hundred and some odd million dollars, he needs to help Herschel. I mean, he has, I think they, they've spent about two and a half million in Georgia for Herschel, but I think they need to spend about five or six million for Herschel, five or six million for Oz in Pennsylvania. Um, Trump is real. Somebody asked me last week, why is Trump so concerned about some of these governor's races? Because these people will be in the middle of changing election law. I mean, the governor signs off on bills that, you know, either make elections more secure or not. So that's why I think Trump is very studious, or studious as he can be, um, on some of these election law dynamics and phenomenons that we're going to deal with. 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, So... Tomorrow, we've got Alaska, and we've got um, Wyoming. That'll, that'll kind of end the, what I call the primary season. I mean, I can think of a couple of others. I think there's even one in October, if I'm not mistaken. But, but the majority of the dust will have settled. We'll have a slate of candidates. Um, the Republicans will know who their guys are and ladies. The Democrats will know who, who theirs are. And what I need to do is get Robert to come on and talk about Arizona, Ohio, Georgia, Pennsylvania. Um, the Democrats are playing defense in two of those states. The Republicans are playing defense in two of those states. Um, Warnock is an incumbent. Kelly's an incumbent in Arizona. And then uh, the retirement of, uh, what's his name? Sitting uh, senator from Pennsylvania that retired. I can see his face as clear as anything. Um, I can't remember. Kind of a straight shooter. I mean, he's always been a pretty good senator, got bothered by Trump, got a little bit, you know, bothered by Trump's antics and um, escapades. And it's not Casey. Casey's the Democrat senator from uh, from Pennsylvania. What is his name? But he retired. And then uh, Rob Portman retired from Ohio. So the the Republicans are trying to hold on to the seat in Ohio. Toomey? Yeah, uh, Bob Toomey. That's it. Uh, uh, Bob Toomey retired and Rob Portman retired. So, um, you know, the balance of power lies in, in that, and that, that's going to be important, guys. We, we talked earlier about defunding, you know, um, appropriating funds or not. Um, if you've got both bodies, in other words, if there's a majority in the Senate and a majority in the House, um, that there's not the reconciliation process, excuse me, the conference committee process that requires. Um, in other words, if you've got a, let's say the chair of the Ways and Means is a Republican, but chair of the Finance is not. The chair of the Ways and Means gets a bill out of the House, gets to the Finance, guess what? It goes nowhere. I mean, the Senate doesn't even vote on it. Um, and that's the problem you're going to have. So what we need to be very, very sensitive. The Republicans are going to win the House. 
I mean, I don't care what CNN says. I actually saw something over the weekend. That's actually on Twitter. And, and I, you know, the, the trending and this and that. No. I mean, there, there's no the right track, wrong track number, the presidential approval rating number. Um, th- there is no way the Republicans don't take control of the House of Representatives. Stop with that nonsense. And, and I've heard some media reports and some liberal opinion leaders try to argue that things are changing. I mean, gas is in decline. Uh, the president seems to have hit his stride. You know, the great regret that I think Republicans probably should have is being a part of the gun legislation and the and the uh, the microchip legislation. Uh, I, for the life of me, I don't understand how you are going to be a part of allowing this president to have legislative success. But we did, you know, and um, Lindsey may have drummed up an opponent as a result of that vote. I mean, he really and truly may have. No idea who it is, no idea where they come from, but I think Lindsey may have drummed up an opponent, uh, not, not with the microchip bill. I mean, I think that's a bad vote because you're helping Democrats in a day that I don't think is, I mean, it's an election year. I mean, we're, we're about to try to take hold of the Senate. Why help the Democrats have legislative achievements? But how can he defend the gun control I don't vote? know. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean in know, a debate, we, in we, a primary debate, how can he defend well, I mean, it? Here's what I'll argue. And, and Lindsey could do a better job of defending himself than I could. Nobody with an R beside their name was sent to Washington to do anything but expand the Second Amendment. Am I right? I mean, nobody with an R beside their name was sent to Washington to cut a deal with Democrats that impeded the right for you to own a gun. Uh, another element of background check. Uh, another what? I mean, just simply, I mean, I, th- I think it's that simple. I think if you're a Republican right now, you have to lean toward, if you're going to make a mistake, you make it in advancing the Second Amendment, not, you know, um, encumbering the Second Amendment to more um, legislation. Now, it'll be interesting, the, 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 the legislation that was passed in bipartisan faction, um, it will probably at some point in time be litigated. I mean, that's kind of what we do now. You know, Rev, I was thinking about this uh, over the weekend. The biggest problem the Republicans, excuse me, the biggest problem the Democrats have, historically, and I could be wrong here, but historically, American politics has been the law. The law says this, therefore you can't do that. The law says that, therefore you can't do this. But we live in an era and age right now of showman and storytelling. I mean, I really believe that. And I think the Republicans have by far the better showman and storytellers. I mean, Trump's a showman. Um, uh, DeSantis is a good storyteller. I don't see that sort of talent on the Democrat side. I mean, I just don't. Um, AOC speaks for a minute, you live with it. Two minutes, she acts like a fool. I mean, she says something just confounding. I mean, just confoundingly stupid. If she says for, I mean, this lady is who the Democrats believe could be the heir apparent. I mean, if, if, um, if Biden is so incapacitated that he can't run, then they see an AOC run potentially. But I'm going to tell really? you, she, she's the lady that if you say, hey and bye to, you're okay. Hey and bye. Oh, that takes 10 seconds. She can't screw that up. Hey and bye. Remember AOC, hey and then bye. Um, she, she's a much better candidate when we don't know anything about her. But if you let her ramble, for a couple or three minutes, it's scary. I mean, it is. I mean, it's, it's scary to believe that somebody like that has reached a position of influence and prominence in American politics who has such a thin, thinly veiled understanding of what makes the world go around and American government in particular. Once again, um, it's not that she's a liberal that scares me. She's a liberal but doesn't understand being a liberal. 
You know, if you're, if you're going to believe in something, know why you believe in it. Have some foundational underpinning of why I believe in this. I've got some liberal friends of mine. I, I passionately disagree with them, but but they, they can validate their opinions. That They can defend their stances. They can articulate what happened in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s or the 1820s or 1850s. I mean, there's some historical context that they, you know, has, has basically led them to believe what they believe. I, I am passionately in disagreement of those people. But, but once again, there is some intellectual underpinning and there's kind of an understanding and grasp of history. Um, I respect that. But AOC has none of that. None of that. She is a bit photogenic. She is very unique. Uh, the one thing I'll give her, she's somewhat fearless. I mean, she is probably as fearless, a, you know, a, a person as there is on the other side. And she, here's the beauty of AOC. If there's any brilliance in AOC, they're it. But if there's any, she understands that it's a show. It's an act. It's a theatric production. Um, you know, one of the savviest things she's done recently appear to be arrested. Yeah. I mean, think about Put that. Put her guys. hands behind her How back. How quick did she do that? As if they're in handcuffs when they weren't. But, but once again, knowing the media is not going to condemn her for it, right? I mean, if she were a Republican doing that, she would have been embarrassed. I mean, they would have had press conferences yeah. with, with, you know, with um, easels and PowerPoints and all these other sorts of things. You know, this Republican was never in handcuffs, but she knew she could skate. She knew she could get away with it. And it was just, there's a little brilliance in being that tactical, being that strategic, being that quick to recognize an opportunity and take advantage of it. Um, once again, <laughs> if the media held her feet to the fire she'd be a fool a buffoon and probably wouldn't have won uh the race she has won but but she understands how advantageous the conditions are for which she operates and she's somewhat of a kind of a, a showman and a storyteller but if you ask her serious questions and give her two minutes she'll talk all of you into believing she's as crazy as i think she is and ill-informed about american history let's take a break we'll be back in just a minute. We got caught up in all the fun and festivities of Friday when we celebrated our 10th anniversary. I want to thank all of you again for being so kind and gracious in supporting whatever it is we do who, uh, here Monday through Friday morning. But we failed to, uh, I mean, it was busy. I mean, it was a bit chaotic. Thanks to uh, Freehold. Thanks to the Rev. You guys did a great job at um, uh, formatically getting us to the finish line. But the one thing we didn't do that I threatened was this fraud case that I'm bringing against Bruce Springsteen. Yes. And once again, it began as a divorce case, but I ain't big on same-sex marriage, so I don't want to be a part of a, um, a divorce case that includes two dudes. Yeah. So it's now no a fraud case. There. No, I mean, you're right. Teach his own. I just don't want to be in, caught up in that. I don't want to be in the webs of a same-sex marriage. Um, but, but once again, teach his own. Everybody does what everybody does, and, and I certainly am understanding of that. <laughs> but, but I do want to, I mean, I, I want to formally file a fraud case, and I'm going to have to go to Pennsylvania because you can walk around on people's land and put cameras up in the middle of the night without Apparently. them knowing about it. So it's not a big deal there. So anyway, I, I probably have a good chance to go somewhere other than um, a state like South Carolina to file this case. But we've got to replace Springsteen with somebody, right? I mean, if we're if we're not divorcing, but rather um, charging him with fraud, we can't be that hypocritical. I mean, we're hypocritical. We can't be that hypocritical as to have a guy playing on Fridays that we're in the middle of um, litigation with. So, mm -hmm. so I have plundered around and my wife gave good advice i said i got to get rid of springston on friday and i don't know you know we got to replace him with something 
and I don't know what with. And she said, well, I mean, who's your second favorite? And I said, Dylan. And she said, God, no. I mean, don't, you know, please, no. I mean, it's serious for her. Um, you tell me you do pretty good in the ratings, uh, and that, that allows you to keep food on the table. Let's not goof that up. And Dylan could be that bridge too far that does that does goof that up. So, um, so, so the other was George Strait. So, you know, we're making a formal announcement now that we've replaced Bruce Springsteen with George Strait, who may be – I think I told Cato this because I do Cato like you know country music and all the and I like country music I like country music a lot. Um, Pearl Jam was in the running. I, I got to say to free all I mean Pearl Jam was one of the bands to be considered. Really? Yeah, yeah, but you, you'd run out of music. I mean, you'd yeah. run out of there. Yeah, sure you would. Music that people know. And actually, Friel's going to like Springsteen. Really? I mean, music <laughs> that people would know. I mean, you. <laughs> so um so anyway the the Fridays now will be um. In the spirit and tradition of George Strait. Okay. Are you cool with that? Yeah. Okay. Heck yeah. Well, I'd already let you in on it. Yep. I mean, you and I kind of worked through this together. And um, he's got like, what, 60 number one hits? Yep. Or somewhere thereabout. And we'll be playing so, a lot of hits. We have you know, a lot of hits to choose from. So we could play a, a George Strait number one song consecutively every Friday for a year and not play them all. I mean, that's pretty wild and crazy, but that's the truth. Now, I will probably try to select songs that you've never heard. You know, George Strait songs off the beaten I'm path. Sure you will. Um, I don't, we talked uh, about to like to do songwriters. With, with the former. Well, I mean, Bruce has four songs that people know, 3,000 that they don't, and we always play the 3,000 um, that they don't. So, yeah, George Strait is now officially our go-to artist on Friday. Hope we've, um, I hope that's a more popular choice with our listeners than um, the guy that we're in the middle of litigation with. Now, I, I you know, I can't comment on ongoing cases. I'd love to tell you exactly where we (laughs) are in this dispute between uh, myself and Bruce Springsteen, but I can't because it's an ongoing case. And now you sound like the FBI and the DOJ. There could be a raid in Colts Neck, New Jersey. There could be. I think that's where he lives. Where's Colts Neck, New Jersey, Uh, Freehold? You would know. I mean, that's your part of the country. It's similar area to Freehold, not far. Is it's it, really ritzy. No, what, do you, what do you mean really ritzy? Like they've got a target there? <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's what ritzy is to me. <laughs> Fancy. It, it's, it's. I mean, average income, yeah, well in the uh, six figures. Yeah, because I, I yeah. saw where Michael Eisner owns a piece of property or Lord Blankfine or somebody like that. It's across the river, right? I mean, it's out 45 minutes from New York City, somewhere there about? Uh, no longer. Uh, an hour? Yeah, well, they say it's yeah. only twenty minutes via helicopter. <laughs> I mean, that, that's again. Well, I mean, from Colts Neck. I mean, I've heard like three things where they say it's only a fifteen minute helicopter ride from Colts Neck to mm-hmm. to Manhattan. So, um, yeah, that that's probably the ritzy part. That um, I think it's got three day schools. <laughs> so, so it's where the um, it's it's, it's where all the, making a lot of sense. But, but is it would it be somewhere that people who don't want to live in the city? Because Springsteen's daughter was on the equestrian team at Duke. And it's actually an Olympian, a medal winner in the Olympics on the equestrian. So if you had horses, you don't keep them in Manhattan, right? You probably don't keep them in Freehold. Uh, Freehold's a, I mean, it's a suburb. So you could have a farm. Suburb. You could have a farm in Freehold. Yeah. Okay. Good mm-hmm. deal. Good deal. Yeah, my Nana and Pop-Up, and I say Nana and Pop-Up, um, had a, uh, a huge- That's as country as anything I've ever heard <laughs> yeah. of Northern Well, it didn't they, sound very uh, Northern. They had a huge, uh, a huge garden with tons of tomatoes and, and other stuff. Cool. It was probably about an acre and a half. It was big. Cool. That, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, okay. We've got more in common than we imagined we did. But Colts Neck would be, ah, 
I mean, it would be the the if somebody made a lot of money in New Jersey, that they would end up living somewhere like Colts Neck. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. Yeah, um, and it's, cl- it's it's fairly close to the ocean, so and and, and freehold is too. When you say yeah. fairly close, the Jersey Shore. I mean, I've heard about the Jersey Shore forever. What exactly is the Jersey Shore? I mean, I know the Grand Strand. Yeah. Okay. The Jersey Shore would be what? It's New Jersey's Grand Strand. Okay. From Same where thing. to where? I mean, the first beach you can go to in New Jersey, um, I believe, is uh, Sandy Hook. I used to live right outside of there uh, when I was you know, working out of New York. And you can go as far down as uh, Cape May. And that's 30 miles, 50 miles, 100 miles? Like 150. Okay, 150 yeah. miles of shoreline. Yeah. Good deal, good deal. Like Atlantic City. Is it touristy at all? No, it's dirty. It is? <laughs> it's gross. Because it's cold. <laughs> it smells. Right? Yeah. I mean, for certain months of the year. I mean, it's not like the south, the southern. I mean, you, your, your father lives at the beach, right, if I'm not mistaken? Yeah, North Okay, Carol. so it's nothing like down here. Oh, no, nothing. But the Absolutely. ocean, I mean, the ocean is as spectacular up there as it is here? Yeah, if you can swim by the syringes in the ocean. Wow. It's, oh, wow. it's that bad. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's so quick. why is that, Freehold? I mean, why, why have they allowed that to happen to such a great natural resource? Overpopulation. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you a question. So Trump does what he does in, in, uh, in Atlantic City. Okay. Do people in New Jersey begrudge Donald Trump for bringing all that gambling? And they built these big monstrosities of casinos. No. Is there any ill will toward Trump for what he did to Atlantic City? Are you talking like pre-politics? No, I mean the, the gambling. Yeah, the, 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 yeah. The, yeah, pre-politics. Um, no, I mean, people, the word Trump card is used all the time. You know, like they go, I've been to the Trump casinos countless times. You know? In Atlantic City? Yeah. Yeah. But they're closed now. I don't know. I haven't been there in a while. Okay, gotcha. I mean, I understand you, cl- you thought that was part of what Bruce may have had against. Trump. I still believe that. I still believe that. I mean, it, you know, we may find that out in this um in this case. I can't <laughs> right. comment on, but yeah, I still believe that there's something Bruce has because you would agree Bruce is a product of the Jersey Shore. Yeah, I mean that's where he cut his teeth, yeah, right? He's a baby. Okay, but I mean, stick with me for a second. I mean, that's kind of where he grew up musically, right? Yeah, on the Jersey Shore, Stone Pony, and some of these other mm-hmm. d- digs and dives on yeah. the on the Jersey Shore. Well, along comes Atlantic City and Donald Trump and this this um, contamination of the nostalgia. Because there was a day, if I'm not mistaken, that the Jersey Shore was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of nostalgic and, um, I mean, obviously it's different today. But I believe that, that a lot of the problem Springsteen has with Trump is the building of those big casinos and hotels that changed the landscape of the Jersey Shore that Bruce kind of grew up around and with and and were so instrumental in his life. You know what? I never even thought of that until you just said it. Because I was like, well, yeah. Um, because no one ever, like, disliked him. Well, pre-political you know, stage. Uh, nobody ever, like, you know, they didn't care. But now that you bring that up and, you know, taking away the nostalgia, now that I think of it, maybe. I mean, I just never thought of yeah, it. Yeah, I hadn't either. Until yeah. one day we were in here and I said, you know, Rev, I think I figured this thing out. Because Springsteen writes and sings about Trump voters, right? I mean, that's all he's ever written and sung about. And so there's a bit of a kind of a disconnect here. And I said, well, why would Bruce be so angry at a guy who gets votes from the people who he, you know, I mean, he, he lied about it all. He was a con man, but still he wrote about it and sang about it and got absurdly and insanely, <laughs> no, ridiculously, what's the words? Uh, uh, wildly and, and absurdly. absurdly. Wildly and absurdly successful. Um, so, so I kept saying, well, why would Springsteen hate the guy who has the support of the people he wrote and sang about all of his life? And then one day it dawned on me, 
Okay, Bruce is a product of the Jersey Shore. It was probably very nostalgic in his life. Here comes a guy that kind of obliterates the nostalgia by building casinos and gambling halls and, and all these other sorts of things. So, so I mean, I, you know, I don't know that. I mean, I'm speculating that. And once again, in discovery of this big lawsuit we're having, I'm sure I can find out, but I can't offer comment <laughs> today on this uh, impending and ongoing legislation. We'll take a break. So, yeah, George Strait. So we say all that to say our new Friday artist is George Strait. That's cool. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843 661 I'm already getting some rave reviews on George Strait, so back to normal. Uh, welcome to the real Good. world. Um, about time he got rid of the weirdo and got a real American, yeah. a conservative. I don't know if George Strait's conservative or not. Do you? I know Kevin know. Costner is wearing a shirt on something I saw saying he's real men I, vote for Liz Cheney. I'm, I'm with Liz. Yeah, because yeah. I thought it was George Strait for a second because they were wearing this cowboy hat. And when I see cowboy hat, I just naturally think of George Strait. Um, the coolest guy on the planet is what I refer to uh, George Strait as. Hey, 843-661-0937 is our number. Um, we didn't get to do this Friday. We're going to do it today. Uh, we owe Pepsi an apology for not having our trivia on Friday, but we'll do it this morning. Kato, I mean, excuse me, Freehold, if you're ready, let's go and do the trivia now. That way we don't have to worry about, um, you know, maybe not having an answer go over the air or whatever. Um, Pepsi of Florence, I mean, I think Les called in, if I'm not mistaken, Friday morning and um, congratulated us on our 10-year. Never would have happened without th these companies. And if I start naming somebody, I'll leave somebody off and our salespeople to go try to get, you know, a, a, a sponsorship renewed. And it's like, <laughs> Well, I mean, apparently we don't do it now because Ken didn't mention us when he mentioned all of his other sponsors, but you've got a list here. Well, I'd written down a few And I want to make sure you get them all, man. I know. I'd written down a few. I know the longtime sponsors that have been here, and we, we talked about some of our, at one point on Friday, we talked about some of our regular contributors that I wanted to make sure to mention, but Tim Norwood at Victor's, uh, Ron Lyles and everybody at Schofields, Glenn Godfrey at QAT, the Swinks from McCall Farms, uh, Les Ward and the, the people at Pepsi of Florence, Cloud Health. Reggie Armstrong, and the list goes on and on. Yep. We Some have been with all. us longer than others, but we certainly do appreciate all of you. Pepsi of Florence takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia. You ready? This is the first of our post, uh, this hopefully the first of our second 10 years on the air. Um, 843-661-0937, the winner, six-pack of Pepsi product, couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirts. Here's the question. We're talking about country music. We talked about putting Trump in prison. <laughs> Who recorded two of his best-selling albums in a prison? What country artist recorded two of his best-selling albums in a prison? 843-661-0937. Hi, you're on the air. Do you know the answer? Hello? Hi, Hi, you're on. Yeah, is it Johnny Cash? It is. 1968, Johnny Cash at Folsom Prison, and 1969, Johnny Cash at San Quentin. If I'm not mistaken, when Cash performed at San Quentin, Merle Haggard was there as an inmate. He'd had some troubles in his life <laughs> and was an inmate, a prisoner at San Quentin. Who is this and where are you calling from? Bubba Hartley Sumter. Okay, Bubba, hold on just a second. We'll get you back to freehold in about two or three minutes. But um, thank you for listening. Thank you for calling. I want to apologize for all the issues we had Friday. We had about an hour and a half worth of um, no phones, no internet, no nothing uh, communicating back and forth with our listeners. 
And uh, we love our sponsors. They make it possible. But we equally adore our listeners, and I mean that sincerely. We try to have a lot of fun here in the morning. At times, it's more serious than others. At times, it's more lighthearted than others. But all of you have allowed us for 10 years, to some degree, to be a part of your mornings and your lives. And we don't take that for granted and hope to be better in the next 10 than we were in the previous and it couldn't be helped and it's just how those things happen obviously we had a lot of things lined up that had a little bit had it and they were interrupted because of the spectrum outage and we lost all spectrum services in this building for about an hour and 15 minutes during the show on friday and i i understand that there were other people that were um they were going to call in and talk about the anniversary and we we really apologize for the way that affected that and for all Out those, of our control for all those i gave twenty dollars to to call in and tell us how great we were and the lines were dead just to show you how good and altruistic a human i am oh, just keep you're gonna let them keep the 20 just keep the 20 oh, spot oh nice i mean i had about eight or ten um callers that were oh. going to send sing our you know i mean just tell us how great we were oh, yeah and how important we were and the world couldn't uh, function without this <laughs> feeble attempt at radio brilliance as part of the uh, political and public discourse but yeah johnny cash was the um was the performer who cut two of his best-selling albums ever in prison. And I, I think I'm right that, that Merle Haggard was a prisoner at San Quentin when Cash came there in 1969, and Haggard says it kind of changed his life. You know, he'd always dabbled around with songwriting and the guitar and whatnot, but he couldn't stay out of trouble long enough to believe he could make a career of it. But um, <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, was Cash arrested seven or eight times? I mean, I think Johnny Cash was, uh, I think it's been a few nights in jail, maybe not Folsom or San Quentin, but I do think the Cash was arrested <laughs> either seven or eight times on a multitude and variety of charges. You know, Rev, when you think about Cash and Haggard, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's where I was headed. Can you imagine um, people like that having to live in the world today? I mean, Haggard just died. Cash died a little bit prior to that. Willie uh, I think Willie lives in Ohio. Um, excuse me, in Hawaii. Chris Christopherson, if I'm not mistaken, uh, lives in Hawaii. And I think these guys have just kind of given up on the world. Um, you know, they didn't allow government to dictate the terms and conditions in which they live their lives. And and I'm telling you, I believe sincerely the only hope America has is the reinvigorating of the American spirit, which includes these characters. That um, I mean, the outlaw country music scene. Um, those guys are my heroes. I mean, you know, the ones that dot I's and cross T's and do what they're told every single time, you know, I, that's, I mean, I get it. We need those kind of people in our society, especially um, organizing things in an orderly fashion. But I'll always have a sweet spot for people like Cash, Haggard. Uh, I still put my father kind of in that group. My dad didn't do exactly what he's supposed to do all the time, but he did what it took to get it done. And, and I just, you know, I admire those people who go against the grain who walk to the beat of their own drum, who refuse to allow a government agency, no matter how powerful they may or may not be, to put them in a box much smaller than they're comfortable being in. And I believe that the greatness of America is in that sort of spirit, not in the mindset of a, you know, kind of a, a game, a, a kind of a game worn person in Pennsylvania climbing over a fence, oh, we need hanging a camera. Yeah, we need a lot more of that sort of um, flavor and personality. Thanks again. We'll talk tomorrow. Enjoy your Monday.